Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton, and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you love that music, don't you, Kenny? <laughs> I don't know. It's been going for a while. I'm ready to, to get some acoustic guitar next I, year, I, maybe. I, I, t- I said that, and then uh, someone said to me, was it Jeff? Jeff Baxter says, oh, don't change the music. I love the music. I, know, I love I it in the car. He said something like that. <laughs> well, you can only have things. People, have, I have this uh, quite funny telephone message on my phone. Have you heard it? I sing. Oh, yes, you, you sing on your message. Kenny, and people, one of my mates rang the other night, left a message, he goes, Ken, you've had this for like 10 years plus, mate. I think it's time for a change. So you're going to write a new jingle for you? <laughs> Come on, Kenny, you do it. You're the master of jingles. <laughs> I think it's time. Time for a new one. <laughs> the people that ring me a lot must be very sick of that. Anyway, hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. Here Sorry, we are we're just again. in the middle of a conversation. You caught That's us right. just chatting about music. Chatting about the opening intros. Yeah. Here with Kenny Bartley. Here I am. The, Shameless the plug for uh, the other podcast, Ministry Matters, because I just listened to my first one on oh. the way here and loved it. Oh, thanks, Very good. Kenny. Good thanks. work. Yeah, we're getting uh, getting some encouraging feedback about that podcast. Can, you follow, can you follow on Spotify or subscribe? What do you do? You subscribe on you Spotify subscribe. or Apple Music. Um, this wasn't planned, by the way. No, this the is shameless, shameless plug. <laughs> No. And, hey, if you get bored with five-hour podcasts with Jeannie or two-hour podcasts with Kenny, these, these are only 30-minute podcasts See, or thereabouts. That's why I only started today because it's taken me all week to, to listen to yours and uh, Jeannie's podcast yeah. from two weeks ago. Well, Jeannie and I are backing up after this to record part two of the podcast that will we'll already be out a few weeks before this, but we didn't quite get it done the other day, so we've got to back oh up. Oh, gosh. So we're on the clock so we can make room for oh, Jeannie don't worry to come. About me. I don't ramble that much. Oh, what is that supposed to mean? But here we – no, that means that – I just wanted I to ramble say that compared, no, I just wanted to say that my level of Bible knowledge and history, because I've been, I listen to a lot, and I know we have all different people on, but yes, I see myself as a different to a lot of the other people. Not to say that I'm worse or anything, because it's just all different, different angles. Kenny, yeah. And um, I like the angle yeah. that you bring to the podcast. Yeah, and, um, yeah, I really enjoy having you on board. It's not us. that I don't want to waffle. It's just that mm-hmm. I don't have. I don't know. I'm just, I feel like I'm a baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kenny, we are talking about 
praise today, which is like right up your alley as a worship leader, as a, a man who writes music. This is going to be, this is going to be right in your sweet spot, I think. Yeah, but I did. I wanted to start by saying that praise is not just music, is it? No, no. That's it. There's so many um, different levels to it. Very interesting. When I started to think about it, I thought. Is praise an action or does it just happen from the heart? What do you think about that as a straight off the bat? Is praise uh, involuntary action sometimes? Right. And, well, for me, some this yep. is, uh, for sometimes for me praise just happens. I'm like, oh, God, you're just so amazing. Yep. And sometimes I'm like stuck or something and I'm like, I need to praise God. Ah, uh, okay. I need oh, to get oh, yeah, this going, you, going you know. So and that might not be involuntary and sometimes it takes yeah. effort. Yeah, definitely, it's all of the above, my friend. I know. It's I, I. The more I thought about it, the more I thought this is more complicated than I thought. Yeah, because you just sort of say praise the Lord, laddie da. But I mean, I haven't been the greatest in the last couple of weeks, and there's been days where I've been like, "Come on, you need to snap, snap yourself out of that." Let's just start by praising God. That's right. And and well, we're going to spend some, some time prayer, in the Psalms, you know? and some of that's yeah. that's the beautiful thing about the Psalms today is that yeah that there is a recipe for every kind of emotional condition you will find yourself in. Yeah. You will find a psalm for that. Yeah. So sometimes, yes, you see the psalms, it's almost like exuberant, out of control, just overcome by the blessing of God. Even the Apostle Paul in the New Testament will say things like, oh, the depth and the wonder and the riches of God. It's like it just flows out of him. But then there's other psalms that say things like put on the garment of praise for the yeah. spirit of heaviness. And, and obviously that's a, that's something you're having to do. That's not, yeah. that's something that's going to take work. It's going to take effort in order to crack open that spirit of heaviness off our lives. And so it is all of those. And it's also, you, you said, is it, is it active? Is it passive? I think it's both too. I think, I think that there's lots of active people who I've often said this, you can have two people standing on stage leading worship and they can look from the outside, they can look like they're both doing the same thing, acting, maybe got their hands raised or yeah. whatever. And that's not really auto, any automatic indication of what's going on inside their hearts. You can have one who's just praising God and one who's going, look at me, you know. So it's not it, the outward. Or as I was two weeks ago, I'm having a bad day, but I'm just but I'm praising but God because I'm praise, worshiping. Because you, 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 and in Christian <laughs> ministry, we will have know, bad times. And, and I kind of felt bad because I was really having a tough right. morning, end of the week, and I was on worship and, you know, it, I was still praising God and, you know, the very first thing I did in the morning was like, I'm just handing this over to you, Lord, yeah. because th- this is beyond my strength right now. Yeah, good. And, um, you know, but there, but then last week uh, I sang with Amanda and Sarah and we had the hairs on our arms standing yeah. up just yeah, it was with amazing. a guitar and three yeah. voices. I was you know? watching it sick. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was beautiful. I, I think that that's, that's a pattern for life. <laughs> yeah. It's hard when you're leading sometimes as a, as a preacher or if you're leading a connect group and you go, oh, I've just got to, I've just got to get this. I'm not feeling this, but I've got to get this. I think there's a place for that. I think sometimes you've just got to step in and trust that there's an anointing comes and you've got to put on that garment of praise. You've got to, you've got to do it. But I think also too, if you're always living there, then you're not living in the freshness and the vibrance of God. So, so getting to the, getting that mixture of the times when praise just will flow out of us as we yeah. truly grasp the, the wonders and the goodness and the grace of God. So We'll see that. I mean, we're starting, a, this is the first week of a series on prayer, Yeah. but we're starting with praise, but we're going to deal with all aspects of this relationship with yeah. God. You know, it's, it, prayer is more than just, in the same way praise is more than singing, prayer is yeah. more than just, you know, a prayer meeting or, 
or or just praying to God. Prayer involves listening yeah. to God. Ultimately, the concept of this whole theme around kingdom life prayer is really about relationship with the Lord. Yeah, because I was thinking of – here's me. I'm always thinking. But I was thinking sometimes I've been just overcome with praise that's yeah. come out of nowhere and I'm just like standing at home and you just sort of – it just hits you how thankful you are for Jesus, you know, yeah, and, and his grace and mercy in it. There's a term for that. I can't remember what they call it. It's a, it's a theological term yeah. for that kind of exuberant yeah. – um, or uninitiated praise that just flows out of yeah. you. It just escapes or sometimes when you see the my... escarpment or, and the trees and you're just like, this is amazing creation and I praise you for it. Yes. Yeah. And so all the more of that I thought about Psalms. it, the more complicated this praise came. Yeah, good. And you're going to be preaching on this theme. So this is like Look a – Look out. This gives you a test run to get your thoughts I know, together. which and... could – be both a positive and a negative. Oh, it'd be a positive, Ken. <laughs> I'm sure anytime we pre-prepare ourselves and have a conversation yeah. around something, it'll be good for us. So, all right, so we're going to kick it off um, with, with Psalm 135. We're going to do a few Psalms, a little bit of Romans, a couple more Psalms and end on Corinthians oh, today, dear listeners. It's all over the place today, Let's folks. Let's go with Psalm 135. Alrighty, praise, oh, praise, <laughs> Psalm 135. There's a lot of Psalms, isn't there? There's 150 of them, Kenneth. We're going to do number 150 we are today, which is today. quite a short one. The last few um, are all praisey Psalms. Yeah, no, there's a word for it. I was trying to say Oh, there double. is. There you go. Let's test your theology um, knowledge. Psalms of praise, no. There's five? Is there five? Yeah, I think it's 146 to 150, isn't it? Yeah. What is the name for Psalms 146-150? And while we do that, folks, it's actually, they're, they're really good if you're just feeling like you need to be praised. They're called the Hallelujah Psalms, according to yeah. ChatGPT. And they okay. start, do they all start with? They all start, start with. Start and end with the same word? Uh, there is some kind of yeah. pattern to it. I don't remember this what This one is. does as well, done which your is a, uh, has a word that I cannot even think of now. I've done some research. But as usual, it's floating around in the ether of my mind. Oh, the Psalms all begin and end with the word hallelujah. There you That's go. That's it, why they yeah. call it. Yeah, well, praise the Lord. So, yes, so there you go. So we call it praise the Lord, but it is actually, it's interesting they've chosen to do that in the modern translations when they do leave the word hallelujah there, which means praise mm -hmm. Yah, praise the Lord. Is literally praise what it means. Yahweh? Yahweh. Yeah. It's a yeah. shortened version of Yahweh. So and hallel is the word for praise. So yeah. praise the Lord. So every I time did, you see it in these Psalms, hallelujah means praise the Lord. I did get the biblical definition up. To shine, to be boastful. No, that can't be right. To glorify. Hallel is found throughout the Bible as a Hebrew word for praise. Hallelujah. Ye the Lord, praise. Hallelujah. O ye servants of the Lord. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? But to it's, be boastful. So we're being boastful about God when we praise him. Yeah. Yes, it's yeah. All of that. It's focusing yeah. up on him, giving him the glory. Uh, all of that's in these in these concept, the concept of hallelujah. And it's if I'm right. I think it's 
it's like the only word that's universal in every language. Like, you know, it, ah. it, it, it doesn't matter what language it's in. It hasn't been translated. It is translatable as praise the Lord, but often it just yeah. comes through as it, in its in its original Hebrew form. Really hard to spell. Thank goodness that phones just spell it for when you uh, start yeah, now. Yeah. If you get the full, first four start, letters right. figures it out. Yeah. <laughs> I did note that um, the Psalms mentioned the word praise many times, depending on what translation. It's definitely over 100. So it's between like 130 and 150 times the word praise. So on average, some where yeah. like once a psalm on yeah. average, yeah. Which is go. cool. Yeah. And I researched this. I didn't research. I Googled, I Googled this psalm and it uh, it said that it quotes words and ideas of other Old Testament passages in almost every verse. Okay. Which I – sometimes I listen to the psalms and I'm just like, oh, David's having a bad day. David's <laughs> having a good day. It's an interesting way to view it, but you're right. Or, you know, it's not just David. No. It was the Asaph. Sons, uh, yeah. sons of Asaph, yep. Sons of Korah. But in what I've been researching, it seems like David was a lot more intentional than what first looked when I would just listen to a psalm and hear these words mm. and that he's quite knowledgeable. Oh, he knew the word, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe as a bit of an entry for our listeners into the concept of what the psalms are. Uh, you know, if you've come from a traditional Anglican background, you'll have a book of Psalms and a book of common prayer kind of thing. Yep. Um, you know, and we, and Pentecostals probably, you know, we don't necessarily do the Psalms the same way. Although there was a season in the charismatic movement back in the eighties and nineties where they would put all the Psalms into, into song, into modern yeah. language. It still happens occasionally, but There's not. There's one, one that we're going to do that I had the little song that I want to Okay, sing. there you go. Not with the guitar, but I just. One of the ones I remember when I first, uh, first moved to Sydney, was a version of Psalm 63. It was just called Psalm 63. Yeah. It, was, it was brilliant. I think Ryan Smith's done one as well. So, uh, some, I can't remember what one he's done. A lot of songs have grabs from yes, all different all ones different too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But I love the idea of singing the Psalms. So what the Psalms were was essentially they were Israel's songbook yeah. in that sense. So they they were songs that they would sing in their worship services Yeah, and they cover the full arena of, of emotion and experience in life. Like, you know, we talked about doing praise in this series, in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to talk about lament, which is the opposite. And there's lots Ooh. of psalms about lament. Right. Something that Pentecostals haven't really done well is to understand that lament and, and pain and suffering and processing that with the Lord through prayer and song is actually an essential part of the Christian life. So we're going to part take, of part of the pity party. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. I mean, it's in that process in of good pouring way. it out to God that it actually yeah. does. It is uh, good for us. So. We're going to touch on all those aspects, and there's plenty of psalms of lament. There's a whole book called Lamentations. Oh, yeah. So it's the full arena of life. And if we can have that and attitude as we come to the psalms, then we go, okay, there's there's a psalm for everything. Yeah. And you can literally do that, folks. You can wow. literally go, you know, give me some psalm, Google some, give, I'm feeling like this today. Yep. Can I have some psalms that will meet me where I'm at? And you'll find a list of psalms that will come up and do that. It's <coughs> really cool. Yeah, and then they can be sung, but they're also meditat meditative scriptures. Yeah. So the idea is a bit like what we'll do in a minute. We'll, we'll actually meditate our way through yeah. and think through and process it. They often do riff off other Old Testament passages in different parts of the scripture. So you can stop and look at what previous scripture was and learn from that. So all of those things are, are a good way to handle uh, the Psalms. They weren't collated in this form. They're actually, there's a whole, um, there's a whole line of theological study now around the, the collation of the book of Psalms. Sometimes you look at it and just think, oh, it's just a whole lot of 
randomly put together psalms. Thrown in any old order. order. But they're not, no. No, in the post-exilic period, so in the 400 years odd before Jesus, when the Bible, the Old Testament was being formed up into its current format, well, sort of the current format, we have a slightly different order, but the same books that we have, um, the, the, those those post-exilic writers and, and priests and, and scribes, they uh, put it together in such a way that it actually tells a story in itself. Right. Uh, it's quite an ex- exact, exacting science to figure out how to do that. But some, the, the order of them, the way they're put together, often Psalms are linked together. It's actually telling Israel's story itself. So it's been, it's not just been thrown together randomly. Yeah. I was, that was going to be one of my questions because in one of these Psalms, I think written by David, he is quoting scriptures from books in the Bible that are after the Psalms. And I thought, well, yep. Okay, well, let's do that when we come to it then. Yeah, Yeah, so we'll pull that out as we come to it. All right, well, let's kick us off with Psalm 135 then. But just firstly, how did whoever wrote this have the knowledge? Obviously, they didn't have a phone with all the different translations of a Bible. Was it in their head? Did they have copies of the scriptures? Uh, Yeah. Or are they just that smart? Copies would have been limited. Uh, They would have had some copies, uh, scrolls at this time. Copies would have been, but copies would have been largely limited. They wouldn't have been available to everybody. Like you know, we can get the Bible on our phone today. So, young Jews were taught the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, yeah. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, especially. They were taught that, especially young Jewish boys. By the time they had their bar mitzvah, that most of them could re- recite most of that. Yeah, because they were taught in that way. Yeah, okay. And history historians have shown that was that, their history. Really, that was their history. It? it was their yeah. story. It was. And historians have shown that that is actually a lost art. The ability to remember has been lost as a result of not being needed because yeah. now we have written history. So we have information that we don't we don't need to retain it as long as we know where to get it. But back then they didn't have access to it. Mm. So their brains were actually better at retaining information. So, yeah, they, they just knew. Whenever you I re- think it's amazing. It is incredible to yeah. us, isn't it? Because they just grew up knowing the Bible. And, and you see this all throughout the Bible when something's quoted – and you'll see a little footnote saying, oh, this is the yeah. such and such. you got to realize most Jews instinctively loaded that that scripture up into their head because they knew the Bible yeah. so well. I've got this um, a New King James Bible with big font, yep. fairly big font, and it, and it has the scriptures that they're quoting the cross, from cross references. the Psalms. Yes, here, that's right. That's good. Cool. That's very helpful. Well, I made a new word um, for this Psalm and a couple of other ones. It's praisiest. Praisiest. <laughs> this is one of the praisiest part, oh, like Psalms it. of all. This is the praisiest psalm of all. <laughs> Which my computer underlined <laughs> in a red line. But. Oh, that's good. It didn't like the word praisiest, but I like it. Go with it. But it's well, it's well written. It's formulated in a, in, a, in a way that it has points, you know. So, it's, so it sort of starts with reasons to praise, um, praising the creator for creation, praising the redeemer, and then it goes on about all the mighty defeats of the enemies. I mean, it's got quite a few verses. It does. It's quite um, a long one, isn't it? Then it goes into praising God's greatness, praising him in contrast to empty idols and, and finishes with telling the people of God, God to praise him, you know. So it's tracking through Israel's story yeah. as a reminder that, hey, God was always yeah. with us. He'll be with us now. And that's yeah. often a common narrative. Remembering, there's a few Psalms that do this. They, they track through what God has yeah. done as a way of saying, hey, he's been faithful before, he'll be faithful again. Yeah, which is a lot of knowledge. Like yes. it goes, and the way it goes through is, you know, it's like, yeah, praise him, but this is why, and these are the reasons, and this is why we do it. So it's it's like a instruction to praise, or and 
yeah, an instruction and reason to praise and a direction to praise. Let's great. do it this way. Let's let's don't forget to you know. That's great. Yeah. Well, yeah, I like that. That's really good. I don't know if we should read any or what. Come on, read a bit. Let's, have let's you got anything in your bit. notes? Yeah, what do you got in your notes? Well, I don't have – like that one was just a – I liked the way it was sorted, but I guess that you guys at home will have to read it yourselves. But We can read a couple of verses out of it. Let me put my spectacles on. <laughs> I've been reading in the Amplified on – On your phone? Yeah, because yep. it's quite good with the little bits. Where do you go from? Not the start because it's long. Verse 3 says, Praise the Lord for yeah. the Lord is good. Celebrate his lovely name with music. Yes. Sing praises to his name for it is gracious and lovely in the Amplified. Yeah. For the Lord so, has chosen the descendants of Jacob for himself, Israel for his own special treasure and possession. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. I have talked about this before, but it's just a thought that comes out here as people are reading the Psalms. We've talked about the format of biblical poetry a couple of times in this podcast, but not everyone yeah. listens to every episode and needs to be reminded. When you're reading biblical poetry, whether it's Psalms or Proverbs or lots of, there's lots of places, we we often think, oh, well, we can't get the poetry because it's been translated out of the original language. So uh, we miss that. However, biblical poetry is somewhat different. There are certain things forms of poetry that involve starting with every letter of the Hebrew alphabet and different lines. Yeah. There, there are those and we often will miss those ones. But the most common form of biblical poetry and biblical song, I, I imagine as a songwriter, you I don't know, do you use this technique where you have a repetition of thought in two different lines? Um, so that's how the most common form is. it. So if we take verse 3, yep. uh, no, let's, let's do verse 4. Yep. It says, For the Lord has chosen Jacob himself, comma, Israel for his own special treasure. Now, Jacob and Israel is the same thing. Yep. But you can see how it's basically the same thought repeated twice for emphasis. And you That's will, good. And you will see this all through the Psalms, all through the Proverbs. They say the same thing in two parallel ways. Uh, and when they do that, it's a parallelism, parallelism of thought. So you, that's their f- most common form of poetic writing. And wow. that does transfer into the English. I like that. So yeah, so five and yeah, go five ahead. is for I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. So two They're different two thoughts, things, same yeah. thing. Yes, exactly. It's the same thing said two different ways. And so it's often quite fun. To, it makes it meditative to actually stop and think, okay, that, rather than just reading it, realize that nearly very often every yeah, second okay. second line is a repeat of the, a different way of saying the yeah. line before. So when you go to seven is when it starts about the the greatness or the, the creation yeah. who causes the clouds to rise from the ends of the earth, who makes lightning for the rain and a third one who brings the wind from his storehouse. That's right. And sometimes there'll be three. Yeah. Exactly. And then the he goes on thought. to, and then eight is uh, the Egypt who struck the firstborn of Egypt, both man and animal, who sent signs and wonders into your midst, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and all his servants. So well, that's cool. It is cool, isn't it? That's an eye-opener. And if you can come to the scriptures that way, especially this psalm, come to it and go, why should I praise? Well, the psalm, the psalm urges us to praise and then tells us why. Because let's look at what God's done in the past. Mm. And then we can know that. We can go back and look at those Old Testament scriptures. There's obviously the Exodus and then Egypt there. And then he struck down mighty kings. That's all, the whole time in the in the book, in the, the time in the desert before they actually went into Canaan. And then... Uh, verse 12, they entered into the land of Canaan. And then there's a little, a bridge, yep. a chorus, your name in Jew is forever. Your fame is for every generation. Mm. The Lord will give justice. So that's like a little what, yeah, an interlude okay. of some kind. 
and then back into the story a bit more. So it's really not that different to how you would write a song, I, I assume. Yeah, that's true. Coming as from the songwriter and then the different parts is like different verses, isn't it? Yes, yeah. So the idols of the nations are silver and gold. The work of men's hands, they have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. And then those who make idols are like them, absolutely worthless, spiritually blind, deaf and powerless. Mm. Wow. So meditate, it's meditative scripture. Yeah. I mean, I listen to the Bible every 90 days and I go, it takes me a week to go through the book of Psalms, like to listen to it from start to finish. It's a week. Yeah. But that's, it's probably one of the more challenging parts to listen to when I listen to it every 90 days because it's so quick and it's, because it's, it's not narrative, I feel like I'm often missing something when I'm just going through it in yeah. seven days. It's not designed for that. That's fine. I can do it. And I, but but I, I tend to feel like the best way to get into the Psalms is slowly, yeah. meditatively, prayerfully, worship grab your guitar if you're musical or keyboard and sing your way through mm. it. That's how you get uh, the most out of this meditative psalter. I think like a psalm or two psalms a day would be better. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, so I remember doing it in driving and it sort of got a bit same-samey. Either it they're does. complaining or they're praising. That's right. And that's what I mean. It's yeah. Because your brain doesn't process at that speed. It's not designed to be – it's not like a narrative where you can listen to it double speed yeah. and milk your way through. It's designed to be meditative. So yeah, you, you'll find that week. I often find that week is like oh, it's, it's more of the harder time to do because I not because the psalms are bad. It's just that I'm, it's not designed to be read that way. Yeah, that's yeah. and that's why I was impressed that it was so intentional as well. They were the way they've written them and laid them out. Yes, carefully and to give people knowledge and instruction. Really, yes, it certainly yeah. is. It's really good like that. I like it. All right. Anything you want to do there before we go to one thirty six? Bless the Lord with grateful praise. Zion is Jerusalem. Yep. Yep. Praise the Lord. This is another name for the same place, Jerusalem. Done that in a previous podcast. No, I think we can move on. All right. To Psalm 136. Psalm 136, and I want to start with a little song I remember singing back in the day when I used to uh, lead worship at the encounter service on a Friday morning. Give thanks to the Lord our God and King, His love endures forever, for He is good, He is above all things. His love endures forever. Sing praise. Here you go, folks. We're getting My croaky voice. No. That was quite angelic. That was quite, yes. Sing praise. That was, um, who was that? Chris, Chris Tomlin? I don't know. I think it's Chris I just Tomlin. Sing it. I'm pretty sure it's Chris Tomlin's early days. It, oh, really? Yep. It's a good fast one. Yep. It's a good one. So this psalm, I think would be a good song. Like it's, it's a very poetic palm psalm. It's hard to say psalm over and over again. It is. You end up saying palm. A bit like you say, whatever you say in the podcast I listened to this week. Philippines instead of Philippines. Philippines. Yeah, I said, oh, that was, I think that was because my head was out of the game. I said the book of Philippines. My head's always out of the game with words yeah. this week. But it's very poetic. Poetic. What I did want to say, so I looked at all the different translations about his love and just forever and I found it 
very interesting that the, the word was changed a lot. So in the NIV, it was his love endures forever. In the New King James, it was his mercy endures forever. Okay. In the NLT, it was his faithful love endures forever. In the Amplified Version, it was his loving kindness love endures forever. And in the message, it was his love never quits. Right. And I was like, that is so strange that They've every come- translation has a different word. For his love did, and joy. Did you have forever. a look at what the original ver- word was? I didn't. Let's see let's what, do it. Let's see what it says. So we are going to, where are we? We're in Psalm 136. I'm not using Chat GPT, folks. I'm using my Olive Tree Bible app, which has in it. So the the King James says, His mercy endureth forever. Yeah. The word is hased. Hased. Kindness by implication towards God, piety. Uh, beauty, favor, goodness, kindly, loving kindness, merciful, mercy, pity. Uh, that's the opposite. So it's got most of the words. It's got most of those words in there. So it's used as you, it's translated in the King James 248 times as wow. sorry, it, the word is translated 248 times. 149 of those as mercy in the King James. Yeah. 40 as as kindness. 30 as loving kindness. 12 is goodness, 5 is kindly, 4 is merciful, 3 is favour, 1 is good. So uh, I think, you know, the King James obviously used the word mercy, which it does say in this version. So Yeah, and what was the Hebrew word? Was it Hebrew? Hesed. Hesed. So they're like, I've heard Tim Mackey talk about Hesed. Hesed will live forever. Hesed will live forever. Hesed will live forever. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, no, that's good. So there you go. That's it. The loving kindness, that whole concept of... But with those, with the translations, would the person who's writing it go from like the Hebrew more Bible often than not? More often than not, and yes. Then there are a few translations that word. went from the Greek version of yeah. the Old Testament, the Septuagint. Um, but it's not just one person. More often than not, most Bible translations a are a team that are yeah. translating and discussing together. Yes, that's yes. good. And we were saying um, in between that this is a like a call and response psalm. That they would have, so it would be the um, Israelites singing this, yeah. Yes, yeah, Led God's by, people in the temple, most likely. You know, yeah. think about it. That's their church service. They come yeah. to the temple. Yep. Um, it, I think is it very probably written by David for the Levites, the Levites to sing every day. That was what I, I googled this one as well. Yes, yeah. The Le- that was well, the part Levites of their job. Were the priests, weren't they? The Levites were um, one tribe. They yep. were the tribe of Levi. The priests were one family from within that tribe. Ah, okay. That came descended from Aaron, and then yep. ultimately the the priestly. So they were the ones who actually. There was only a small portion of the Levites that actually did the going into the holy place and doing all the sacrifices. Yeah, right. But there were. But anyone who was part of that Levite family, they had jobs in and around the temple. Right. And there was another whole family. Um, I think they're called the sons of Korah. Yeah. But that that, that that another whole family that would were tasked with the job of praise and worship. Worship and leaders. Singing. They were basically the worship leaders. Yes, they were tasked, <laughs> tasked with they would be the original choir. They would wear gowns. They would they would be in the temple. They would sing. And their job was basically round the clock, 24-7, to offer praises to God. They would do that in in teams, basically. And that would be their wow. job. Wow. Mm. Gosh. It's good preparation for heaven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, we've had that conversation or whatever. Yeah, heaven. whatever heaven looks like. <laughs> I write down here that David is like the Bob Dylan of his time because it, it looks to be a very simple song praising God, but it's actually very complicated in the way he goes through it. He's deliberate once again. Yep. And um, 
scripture related. So it's, let me see if I can find it. Oh, can you pause for a second? I can pause for a second. We'll be right <laughs> back, folks. Unpause. <laughs> for his mercy endures forever is from Deuteronomy 10, 17. Um, to him who, but this is the new King James Version. To him who by wisdom made the heavens for whose mercy endures forever. Jeremiah, I guess, 51.15. Yep, that sounds right. And it just goes through. There's some from Genesis. There's some from Exodus. I think it's just amazing that he knew it so well. There's some from uh, Shion, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endures forever. From numbers. So it was a common refrain that they yeah. used. Yeah. Yep. Very deliberate and and. Like I was saying before, I, when I listen to the Psalms all in a row, it just feels like, oh, this is David on his another day and he's woken up and he's praising God again and he's going through his praise motions. But you realise it's more but strategic But you realise that. that he's a very good songwriter. Yes. And, he's, yes. you know, as in the way that Paul Kelly writes stories yep. that people relate to, David's obviously writing things that people relate yep. to and they want to sing back and praise about. So That's right. So for the context of the time that he wrote them. And their music, I think the interesting, another interesting fact is that they're, I think it's probably pretty known from archaeological evidence that their music structure would not have been advanced as ours. Yeah. So they, they didn't have uh, an eight chord, they didn't have an eight, an eight note, um, you know, sequence. They didn't have an octave. What is a lute? So, yeah. So some of these instruments have only got like four strings. strings. And, and so uh, what that meant was, I think, in some cases, they might have only had six notes in there. Yeah, in there, you know, you're a musical person. No electronic tuner. No, no. So <laughs> concert so pitch. It wouldn't have sounded <laughs> the same as it does today. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, uh, and that they they praised God with whatever they had. Have the scholars ever tried to work out what it would have sounded like? Oh, some have. I think they've tried to build. Some, yeah, yeah, some people tried to build rebuild instruments they've found or seen in writings and. Try to work out from that what it is. Yeah, it's, cool. it's, quite, it's quite a science to oh, see. That'd be worth checking work out. out. What the different sounds are and, and what it would have been like. Yeah, and um, to hear people sing in different language. Yes, good. Yeah, that's right. Fascinating. That's all it? quite interesting. Yeah. So this whole faithful love endures forever, mercy endures forever. That's that's a common refrain in this song. But you're saying it's coming out of a long history. It's probably yeah. something that David has inserted. Or not, we don't even know if this psalm was David, but it's been inserted into this psalm as the response, hasn't it? Yeah. It's the response component. That's right. The people, the, the priests would sing, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Everyone else would sing, his mercy endures forever. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, so you can see that happening. You can yeah. imagine walking into the temple and the choir uh, up in the stands on the side singing the priestly choir and then everyone in is jumping in and engaging. I reckon it's awesome. They're not, um, when you Google these psalms, no one's, really wants to point the finger at many of them and say David actually wrote that one. They're just saying we think. Right, okay. And of these particular ones, you think? Yeah. yeah. Because this there's one they of, said that he probably did. Right, okay, there you go. Yeah. So there's numbers of Psalms that early on in the book of Psalms that are actually attested to David. Yeah. You get to the end a of David a David Psalm. Is yeah, that what David, says, yeah. Psalm of David or yeah. Yeah, et cetera. And then you get to a, oh, I don't know, Psalm 40 or 50 or something and it actually ends one of the books and it says, here endeth the Psalms of David. <laughs> But then it doesn't end because then there's <laughs> others later on. But that shows you that they were inserted to tell a story in a different order later on. So as the 
uh, history and time went on and other books of the Bible were written, people just kept writing Psalms and then they all... I think so, yeah. So some and of then them, they were like, yeah. hey, we've got all these Psalms. How about you put this together and make a book? That's exactly how it worked. Which yeah. would have happened like years, hundreds yeah, of years yeah. later. Well, it did. It, it happened in this post-exile period. Yeah. So we're talking, you know, David's, David's alive about 1000 BC. These are being put together 600 to 700 years later after wow. that in that order. Yeah. Would they have been written on scrolls? Probably, yeah. Uh, yeah, more than likely on scrolls. Because yeah. I've written songs on napkins and telephone books and <laughs> wherever stuff like you, that. whatever you can get your hands <laughs> on when the inspiration <laughs> comes. Yeah, so they would have yeah. been written on scrolls. Yeah, very yeah. cool. Yeah, it's great. Psalms are good like that. Very interesting. I'm, I'm, I want to research a bit more about this. I think let's move on to Psalm one forty five. Okay. We are at Psalm 145. And I was telling Rowan that I Googled. I have never done chat GTP, but I Google. <laughs> and I Googled this psalm and it, several times it came up and said David and the 5G. So this one is credited to David that he wrote it. Mm -hmm. Does say um, that at the start. Greatness, goodness, glory, guarantee and grace. So we might read through it, and we haven't read through it. But we might do it again and pick them out. I'll read, and Rowan can call them out as they come. Okay. What do you think? See Should how we, we go. go? Yep. Greatness. I've got to see your notes in front of me. Greatness, glory. Where are they? Greatness, goodness, glory, guarantee, and grace. Okay. So in NLT, it's a, a psalm of praise of David. I would, ex I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Greatness. Tick. <laughs> Verse 3. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious. Well, there's glorious. That's actually number three <laughs> on your list, but there it is. Yep. And your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will, I will proclaim your greatness. Tick. Number one, again. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. Number two, tick. We've got they three out of five now. With joy about your righteousness. There's another one. Yep. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a bit of grace yeah, there. That's, that's, pretty, that's good. Explain. That's actually a quote, that whole slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. That's the most quoted, that, that format of one form or other, is the most quoted Old Testament verse within the Old Testament. Wow. It comes from Exodus 34, 6, when Moses was on the mountain yep. and the Lord appeared to him and he hit his face in the rock and he said, the Lord, the Lord, um, slow to anger, abounding in goodness. Um, Beautiful. That's actually how God revealed himself. And that that particular verse is quoted more times in the Old Testament than any other verse in the Old Testament. So wow. this is a version of it. Slow to angry, filled with unfailing love. Fun fact, listeners. Fun fact, yep. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. Goodness again. He showers compassion on all his creation. grace. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory Tick. of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of Tick. your reign. 
for your kingdom. You like is... to ring a bell each time you say it, don't we? <laughs> Have you got a bell? I need a ring. I've got to find a bell. I can't. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps His promises. Uh, here we go. The miss, one we're missing is grace. Guarantee. Is it guarantee? The Lord up always now? keeps His promises. He is gracious in all He does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. That was like four or five verses all on the guarantee there, the goodness of God's faithfulness. Yep. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. Goodness. That'll do. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him. It's a guarantee. He grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries for help and rescues them. I think we've... T- oh, we're nearly there. The Lord protects all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. Guarantee. I will praise the Lord and may everyone on earth bless his holy name forever and ever. Beautiful. That's a good a meditative cracker, isn't psalm, it? isn't it? I mean, yeah. you could take any one of those statements or phrases in that psalm and just pray it through, think it through, meditate on it. Yeah. And let God speak to you through that, through your situation that you're facing. In my notes here, I've got, <clears throat> is David a gifted writer, Holy Spirit led, or an amazing scholar, or a mixture of all three? I'd say he's a mixture of all Because he's very crafty. Yeah. Very talented. He's mm. very creative. So he obviously had a gift of songwriting. Uh, you know, I don't have that. He obviously did have the ability to write psalms and poetry and so on. Uh, he knew the word of God. Um, and so he has, it's a mixture of his gift and his desire to know God. And this is just a side hobby of being a king and a war ruler as well. Yes, that's right. <laughs> this is his side hobby. And that and she's part of why I think, you know, God chose him. God chose him because he was a shepherd. He had already had the shepherd's heart. Um, he would be out on the side of the hill when all his brothers, you know, the story when he was first yeah. ordained, he was off on the hill. I think God chose him for that reason. And, uh, you know, I often picture David just as a young shepherd boy out there with his harp on the side of the hill, listening, yeah. you know, serenading the sheep, worshipping, you know, being in his own mode, meditating on scripture. And I think that's obviously what prepared him for so much mm. later on when he ended up becoming like a largely like a worship leader of Israel. I mean, he was the king, but he he often commanded them to sing. He obviously songs. had a gift because he started by soothing Saul. Yes, when that's, he was that's tormented. true. It started with that, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, so there was a gift there where he played the yeah. harp and would soothe Saul. Chosen for that. So I think it's a picture. David's a good picture of how to take a gift and hone it. Yeah. You know, um, you know, we often talk about, you know, David killing Goliath. It wasn't a, f- a, clu- a fluke. He, he obviously practiced a lot with that, oh, yeah. with that sling and stone. Same with his music. He, you know, I say this to our to music teams all the time. You can be an incredible musician, but if you never actually, or a singer or whatever, but if you don't actually hone that gift, you're not stewarding it well. You got to go. Okay, I'm gifted with this. I'm gifted with the ability to do music. I'm gifted with the ability to be do pastoral or whatever your gift might be. There's a responsibility on us to hone that, practice it, bring it before God, and say, God, I want to use this gift. I want to grow in it. And that's what David clearly did. So it's a mixture of talent and effort. Yeah. Beautiful. I have one little pick upon him for this. I wrote, is it a little generalized when he says all a lot, but who am I to judge David or God? When he says, so, well, it's yeah. a, a lot of it says like, so the Lord protects all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. And it's many cries of all. 
Yes. But some, you know how we've had conversations about why do bad things happen to good people and mm-hmm. why do bad people get away with yes. stuff? I suppose yeah. the judgment might come at the end of the day. I think that's how we have to view it. I think if you yeah. take this at a shallow view, you go, well, I haven't been affected by that. Yeah, and that's, that's a, a bit of a wait, what moment? Hang on a second. I haven't been protected from everything and yeah. the righteous have suffered and those if I'm feeling really broken I'm not going to be lifted up right now so when I see those I I bring them into the fullness of God's story yeah I go in the end it might not look like it now it might not look like I'm being protected right now it might not look like he's granting the desires my desires he's not might not look like he's hearing my cries for help and rescuing me however it might not feel like he's protecting me. The Lord is close to all. That's right. He's him. Called, I'm yeah, calling exactly. him, but I'm not feeling like so he's close. <laughs> that's right. And I think that's part of it. It's the meditative scriptures to yeah. go, God, even when I don't see it, yeah. I trust you. Even when I don't see it, I trust that in the end you will put everything right. Yeah. And so it's having an eschatological, it's a big view, but it means that, that view of the end, the end, the fulfillment of God's kingdom. And we have to re- even view a lot of these challenges through an eschatological perspective is that in the end Jesus will right every wrong. And we, some of them we may see now, some we may not, but these sorts of Psalms call us to think forward into the future and go, God, it might not feel like this, but your word says that you're watching me, you know, you're caring for me. You you will destroy the wicked. You will uphold the cause of the righteous. I trust you in that. Yeah, and it does help you if you're feeling really down because I would read the Lord is close to all who call on him and even if I'm feeling broken and down, I'm like, you're, you're, I know you're there. Yes, that's right. And that's, you know, that's what it's meant to do. I know even though I'm not feeling you, you're close. That's, you know? that's what it's meant yeah. to do. What exactly. did you say? Eschatological. Eschatological. Eschatology Esch- is the, the, the study of end times, basically. It's ah, the right. study of the end. Yep. And, uh, you know, we, when we say end times, we think, oh, you know, the whole rapture theology. Yeah. Like, I'm not talking about necessarily limiting it to that. Just the whole thing that when we read the scripture, we read it with this view that is – moving in a direction towards a fulfillment. Yeah. That fulfillment is what we see at the end, the last few chapters of Revelation, the coming of God's kingdom, the reunification of heaven and earth, God Eden, writing finding every, Eden yeah, again. Finding Eden again. That's yeah. the eschatological view we read scripture with. Okay. And when we do, we go, okay, I don't see this now, but I'm heading, I'm in a part of a story that's heading in that direction. Yeah. And one day I will see that. Yeah. That's beautiful. Mm. That's a beautiful way to end Psalm 145. And we're going to move on. So Romans 1. Romans 1 now. Well, here we are, leaving the Psalms and heading to Romans 1. Romans 1. Which is probably, I don't think there was any Psalms written around here, was there? Psalms. Psalms written around this time? <laughs> no, I think the Psalms are done and dusted by no, now. They're well and truly done and dusted. Although Paul, <laughs> Paul Olven will quote old Yeah, hymns. I noticed that too, that Paul, Paul he's another Psalms. very gifted, yep. gifted and he writer. And he actually in several times will quote what scholars believe are probably early hymns of the church. So yep. they may not be Psalms from the Old Testament, but they're actually new songs that were written for the church. Yeah. But he'll quote them. So even by the time he's writing them, they're well known among the church. Paul is a exuberant writer, the oh, way yes. he describes everything and goes through it. It's, it's To me, it seems way over the top, but I understand that it's the way they would have written back then, uh, a letter, Paul, is Paul, that right? Uh, yes, to a point, but Paul yeah. Paul was, like you said, over the top. He, and very he careful. Was, he was very, very, very intelligent, very yeah. thought out man. Hey, you're in good company because even the Apostle Peter actually says in his letters, 
Just like our dear brother Paul wrote to you, I know that some people say his thing is hard to believe, hard to understand, <laughs> but stick with it is what Pete says. So even <laughs> even Peter acknowledges that Paul was hard to understand, so don't yeah. feel too bad if it's a bit com complex. And Romans is like the epitome of his theological treatise. I mean, this is his... His greatest theory. work. It's, it's like his greatest yeah. work. It's like the greatest hits. The greatest hits of and Paul. It's incredibly dense. Yeah. Brilliantly I've written. I've always found going to Romans and Corinthians that a lot harder for me to take in. Right. Because a lot of the other stuff is stories and parables yep. and you can work them out. Romans is like grabbing a whole lot of stuff and, and condensing it into 16 it. chapters. Yeah. Absolutely. It's very much like that. Dense is the word for Romans. And so you can read it quickly, but it warrants a lot of study. And people have written, you know, yeah. can't think of how many PhDs have been done on the book of Romans. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, where, so we're obviously in the context of praise today, which is how he starts out in Romans 1 anyway. Where was Paul when he wrote Romans um, 1? Do we know? There will be different perspectives on where he was. Um, he hadn't been to Rome yet. It seems to indicate yeah. that. So, um, Well, it follows on from Acts, doesn't it? The end of Acts. Well, it follows on in the in our Bible. Oh, right. So it doesn't, doesn't necessarily follow on chronologically. <laughs> so he didn't just go, Acts is over, here we are at Romans. No, uh, no it's, written, it's written during the time that is being narrated in the book of Acts. Right. So um, he's probably he's probably writing this uh, at a period of time. Uh, my guess is, off the top of my head, I have to do the research, but I'd say he's probably written at a period of time either when he was in prison in in Ephesus or soon yeah. afterwards when he's doing his his second second missionary journey. I think so. He hasn't been to Rome yet because that's one of my other questions was why can't he get to Rome like he wants to? Okay, well, talks Je and, uh, Jeannie yeah. and I are talking about that on the podcast, that we're, yeah. which will have been out by a couple of weeks by now, two or three weeks, well, probably four weeks by the time we listen to this one. Um, but Paul intended to go to Rome. He, he says that at the end. He was going to go to Jerusalem with an offering and then he was ah, going to go yes, to Rome. I remember. He was intending to go to Rome, but he ended up getting imprisoned in, in Israel and it took him two years, but eventually he got to Rome via a shipwreck and all the stuff that happened at the end of the book of Acts. So it took, he got there eventually, but not the way he had thought that he would. Because that was another one of my points where he's the, at the end of the book of Acts, which obviously now that I know doesn't necessarily doesn't lead correlate. into Romans. No, it's, it's the Romans is being written during part of that time prior to the book of Acts, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd have to look it up. There might be some people who could find different perspectives. And a lot of these perspectives on where Paul wrote what are open to conjecture because yeah. we don't have it laid out. We've just got to try and piece it together based on who he's talking to and who he's with and all that sort of stuff. So a few of these have different schools of thought and they all have pros and cons. Well, that was another question because it's, it's a – is it a letter that he wrote to – one person or a group of people. Uh, he wrote it to a group of Romans, uh, the Roman Christian church. So yep. a bit of background to this letter uh, from what appears to be happening. There was a period of time where I think uh, one of the Roman Caesars uh, kicked all the Jews out of Rome. Um, I can't think of his name. I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I should know his name, but I can't think of his name. He kicked the Jews out for a period of time. He wasn't happy with the Jews. So he kicked them out for about several years. And during that, so originally the, the Roman church was a combination of Jewish and Gentiles. There were Romans, there were Jews in the church and they, whatever, they made it work. And then the Jews had been kicked out of Rome. So the church at Rome became largely just a Gentile church, no Jews in town. Well, then the Jews were allowed back some years later. And when they came back, they brought with them all their Jewish practices and beliefs about circumcision and all that. And the Gentiles are going, hang on a sec, we've lived this way without all that for, you know, so many years. Right. And so there's a bit of argy-bargy going on yeah. as the church is trying to work out what that looks like. And so Paul is writing with that 
context, that background as he writes the book of Romans. But the book of Romans is written in four main movements, Romans 1 to 4, 5 to 8, 9 to 12, and then 13 to 16, I think it would be, four main movements in there. And uh, Paul is dealing with different points at each of those uh, as we go through. But we go, what are we doing today? We're doing Romans 1, Romans 2. Where else are we going? Romans. Is that it? No, there's, there's more than that. There's more a couple of chapters later on as well, isn't there? Romans 3. Oh, we're doing 1, 2, and 3. Okay. And 4. Okay. And then, yeah. And okay, four. so we're going to do this four first movement yeah. all in one setting. Okay. okay, so let's let's crack our way into it then. Well, it starts with his uh, his exuberant opening. <laughs> this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ <laughs> Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach the good news. Which goes for a long time. <coughs> I've, Paul's very good at having long-winded intros. Yeah, I, I'm trying to get to my what? Moments in it, sure. Which there is, there are a few in Romans one for I, sure. I wanted to start around sixteen, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. The Jew first. Why the Jew first? I okay. think you and Jeannie might have touched uh, on. We it. have, and we might have touched on it again in a recent one we we're recording as well. Uh, Essentially, that was the model. God is telling his story for all of creation through the Jewish story. So it started with all of creation in Genesis and it went down to Abraham and Abraham's family and Jacob and obviously through Israel and then through King David and the Messiah would come. And so it's narrowed down through the Jewish people and then once it gets to Jesus, it opens up again yeah. to all people. But God's plan was that through the Jews, even Jesus says to the Gentiles, I was sent not to the lost, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. When he sends out his disciples, uh, he says, go, don't go to the Gentiles, go to Israel first. Right. So God, it's just the way God has planned to do his story of redemption. Has Is been, it being respectful as well? Like, like say you would be respectful to indigenous people the first. I think so. Yeah. There's, a, yeah. there's an element of that there. Yeah. There is an element of that. The Jews didn't always deserve that respect. They didn't, they treated it quite elitist, even the, the Christian Jews. And Paul was pretty down on the Christian Jews for their level of religion, uh, religious enforcement that they were yeah. trying to put on Gentiles. But yes, he's saying the good news has gone to the Jews for, and practically it did. It went to the Jews in Jerusalem and then yeah. Judea and Samaria in the ends of the earth. So it was always, the idea is it's supposed to grow out. To yeah, okay. Yep. I've got here verse 18, he begins hammering I sinners. Some, I thought this might be where you go. This is a wait what? <laughs> Commonly challenged scripture, this one. God's anger at sin, it says in the NLT. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he is made it obvious to them forever since the world was created. People have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. <laughs> yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools and instead of worshipping the glorious ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And then? Then it says God abandoned them mm. to whatever shameful things their hearts desired and they did vile things and they traded the truth of God for a lie and they worshipped and served 
created uh, things created that God had created rather than the creator himself. And it goes on about how they indulged in sexual sin. And uh, it's, it's a pretty. So does it go against homosexuality? So that, that would have been, that would have been your question. There. And this is the most, probably the most common scripture that is, that is used yeah. um, for that. I think it seems to be indicating that God's initial plan, God's intentional initial plan is that uh, there would be normal heterosexual relationships. And that's, that's the traditional church view. Um, I think what I what I would say is I think in this context here, and we, we've touched on this kind of, kind of the whole issue of homosexuality before, and it warrants its own much more in-depth yeah. conversation, especially because people are asking these questions today. So um, any answer that you give in a you know a short minute in a podcast yeah. potentially could be I just have to put it in there. Oh, totally, absolutely, said, it's there. and this is the most common scripture that people yeah. will use, other other than Sodom and Gomorrah and places like that. This is this is um, so I want to what I would do is I would say here that there is an indication and historically I think Paul would hold to a traditional view of heterosexuality and within within a marriage relationship. That was historically the Jewish yep. view based upon their understanding of the Old Testament. What I would say is I think Christians, many Christians uh, take this Romans 1 passage and bundle it up mm. and weaponize it yep. against people and oftentimes against homosexual people. Yeah, And I think that is there is so much more going on in this passage yeah. to just use it as a weapon against uh, one aspect or one particular group of people is a gross misuse of what Paul was trying to say here. Yeah. There are there are people who are um, who are affirming believers who will have wrestled through Romans 1. I don't necessarily agree with the, their understanding of where they stand on Romans 1, but I know what they I know what the reasons are and they do make sense to me. I can argue them. I just don't necessarily yeah. 100% agree with them. But um but these are good people who are trying to really genuinely wrestle with the scripture. They're not out to they're not out to try to cut corners or, or dismiss yeah. things. They generally want to seek the heart of God and they will use Romans 1 to say that this is not talking about all homosexual relationships. This is talking about um, a specific aspect of um, of using people. And, Wick- and wickedly. And w- uh, wickedly yeah. and, and, and using it in religious practice and all that kind of stuff. And I, I, can, build, I can build a reasonable argument for that. Yeah. Um, this well, I hold the I hold it reasonably loosely in that way because I don't think it should be weaponized. I can I can understand that argument. I don't necessarily agree with it uh, because I think it it probably is stretching a little bit more the understanding of what the Jews said. So to say all that, I think the problem is when we here's here's what I do with these passages that you've just read. Yeah. When we weaponize it against one people group, we miss the point of what Paul is trying to say here. The real issue is that God has a problem with the sinful nature, and he will talk about this much later on in Romans. We've, we've done it in our, our podcast on sin around Romans 7 and Paul saying sin. Is that when he wrestles? And he wrestles against. I do not know why. That's exactly I, yeah. right. Yep. So that is, Paul is setting up this concept of sin here. So it's interesting that, you know, I mean, these are only, um, the titles are only put in by uh, people afterwards, but yeah. the NLT says God's anger at sin, yes, not God's anger at sinful people. Yes, I think we need to understand when Paul's talking about this. There's a there's a mm. sin nature that God goes after. There's this sinful force in the world that that has corrupted and attached itself to the hearts. This blackness that has attached itself to the hearts of people. And when we understand that, we see how what Paul goes on to say is how it plays out in our lives. So let's just take a moment. And I'll just pull out a few thoughts yep. on this passage. So it says, God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
So there's a caveat there. These are he's not talking to every person. He's really we we go. Oh yeah, everyone's a sinner. Yeah. And Paul will say later. You know, you, I think you probably say at the beginning of. Yeah, it's gonna, we're going to do it in Romans 2. You yeah. start with Romans 2. You may think you condemn such people, but you're just as bad. Yeah. So, you know, we can't – the idea of this is not to point at other people. Yeah. This list that we've just read is actually um, – we're supposed to be looking at ourselves in this list Part as well. Part of this, this sinful thing of every, that everybody that every, has. That all of us have, yeah. yeah. And so then we can stop weaponizing it and start – you know, you internalizing and going, okay, God, where do I fit in this? Yeah. So it's it's these people who it says who uh, refuse to uh, you know to look at the world. They they say you know I'm not prepared to uh, I'm not prepared to trust God. All sinful people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So the issue is where are we pushing down truth in our world? Where, where mm. are we denying it? These people know the truth about God because it's made obvious to them. For every ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Now this has been weaponized yeah. to go. Well, yeah, you should just know God's there because it's in the heavens and the earth. And have you ever heard that? You know, oh, because the scriptures say the heavens declare the glory of God. Yeah. But, but be honest, I know good people who would be very sincere, who I don't think are refusing to acknowledge God when they look at the heavens and the earth because they might be purely evolutionary thinking. They might just think, oh, it's all come about by chance or whatever. Yeah. They're not not all of them are suppressing the truth willingly. Sometimes they're just there are some who will do that. There are some of the new atheists who will just seem like they've got massive blind spots. Yeah. But I think I think uh to just say, oh, it's obvious, I, I mean I can look at that and yeah. go, it's obvious, but my heart is disposed towards that. I can look at a sunset or whatever and this is amazing. So I don't think we should weaponize it in that way and say, oh, you know, you should know better, basically. Yeah. You're an idiot if you don't believe in God. <laughs> I don't think that's going to help anybody. No. These are people, because it goes on in verse 21, and he's actually talking to these people. He says, these are people who knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God. Yeah. So here we're uh, talking, we're not talking to people who are still on a journey of figuring stuff out. We're talking about people who know what they should do, know to worship God, have a relationship with God, but have chosen not to. Their sinful nature has taken over and they've chosen not to. It's well and explained. They've become dark. Their minds have become dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they became utter fools. And this is this is an interesting point here. This is what idolatry is. Verse 23 says, Instead of worshipping the glorious ever-living God, they worshipped idols made to look like people and birds and animals and reptiles. And that's what ancient idolatry was. It was they would set up created beings right. as images and they would worship the image, whether it's an animal they would worship, like an animistic religion, yeah. or they would, you know, worship idols that were spiritual beings that, you know, demonic. What was Baal then? Baal oh. was a demonic god. Yeah. So, yeah, so there was a, um, a a statue, an idol of Baal that was worshipped, but it was it was a demonic god. What were those Asherah poles they talk Same about Same thing. So yeah. they were a pole that was literally like almost like a totem pole thing yeah, yeah. that they would worship and they would worship the goddess Asherah, which is a demonic god. Wow. So there's a demonic being behind that. So sometimes it was natural stuff. Sometimes it was the spirits of the heavens. But in essence, what they are doing is they are trading. It says in verse 25, they traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal Praise, there's that word. Amen. Yep. So what they've done is they have, Paul is saying, when we do that, when we create idols, we we put in the place of God things that God has made. 
Now, we don't necessarily walk around creating statues in our house and doing all that kind of stuff, creating idols that way. We create idols in our heart yeah. around money, sex, power, and essentially all those other gods, they all manifest, even those Old Testament ones, they manifest themselves in those big three, sex, wow. money, and power. And so they are things that are designed to be, in, it's designed to be enjoyed by God, yeah. but we've corrupted them and made them into idols themselves. And is that part of the look, want, take? See, want, take, thing. exactly. See, want, take. Yep, the big yep. three, sex, money, and power is often the big ones. And so Paul is here not trying to point at one people group or those people out there. He's trying to get us to look at ourselves and go, our sinful nature will cause us to be corrupted and we will invariably chase after the created things as though they would give us happiness, as though we, it says, exchange the glory of God for a lie. Instead mm. of accepting that we are the image of God, we are created in his image. We are the idol. We are The word yep. is selem in Hebrew. It means idol. It means image. It's the same word, right. the image of God. We are the selem of God. But what humans do is we go, oh, I'm going to give over all my uh, power to sex, money, or power, as though we're exchanging what we should have for ourselves. Paul is adamant about that. Wow. Um, and it will play out in all kinds of sexual dysfunction. It will play out in power play. It will play out in money and wealth and stuff. It has throughout history. does throughout the Old Testament. It even does in the New Testament. And it has throughout Still history. Still does now. Still does now. So Paul is trying to – so I'm, I'm not saying don't read this scripture through the lens of – uh, he's addressing things like sexual sin and so on. But let's not narrow it down to that. Let's see, Paul is calling all of us to a higher level of living here, a level where we don't exchange our worship of the creator for worship of created things. I like that. Did you guys like that? That was very, that was good. Oh, good. Okay. You could have talked a lot longer about that, I feel, uh, but I, you... Um, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not an expert on Romans 1, um, but I have I've looked into it. I mean, let me just read it a little bit more. He goes on in verse 29. He says, these people, you know, do this. Their lives become full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. Wow. There's a pic. Then it goes on. They're what about verse 30? Haters of God, insolent, <laughs> proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, disobey their parents, refuse to understand, break their promises, heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires the things that those, these things deserve, to, that they deserve. Those who do these things deserve to die, yet they keep doing them. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them. That's a big group of people. Right? A, yeah, and I think <laughs> when I read disobedient, respectful to parents, I yeah. thought we're all doomed. That's exactly. Well, I'm glad you recognise that because that's the point. Yeah, it's so easy to point fingers at others. And I, even Paul obviously recognises that because he's going to start Romans two, as I said in a minute, yeah. pointing back at us and going, "Hey, you think you're you? There's other people that they is us. Yeah, we are the they. You know, that's how it's going to start. So I think. Let's read Romans 1 through that grander picture yeah. than just uh, it's, a, it's to be weaponized against any other people. Beautiful. Let's um, glide into Romans 2. Follow it on. So the first, my first notes on Romans 2 is um, Paul continues hammering sinners, but now he speaks to believers as well. <laughs> is that apt? Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> he's, now, he's, hammering the, he's hammering us now, not just those group that we talked about in the first <laughs> chapter. 
Exactly. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself for you who judge others do these very same things. It's amazing, Kenny, how often I've heard Romans 1 weaponized and never do they bother to read Romans 2, (laughs) verse 1. Because if they read Romans 2, verse 1, it would not be weaponized in the same way. Picking and choosing. That's right. It's like there's a chapter break there. I must be a new train of thought. No, it's a continuation. In fact, a, a, a drilling down into the same thought but personalizing it. Yeah. I've got here, um, is he respected enough for them to even listen to him or to them is he just being very disrespectful? So how are these people going to take? Because he's just like he's hammering you, them. you, you, yeah, you know. He's hammering them. Yeah, it's, it's one of the challenges with this chapter is it doesn't seem like gentle fatherly Paul that we see in other places, does it? It's pretty strong. No. And the scholars will, I don't know all the details of the book of Romans, um, scholars will, as I said, will have argued about the depths and the background and all of this passage all the way through. Uh, it's I think it's personally quite strong, especially considering that it, it seems that Paul hasn't even been to Rome. So yeah. He doesn't know these people personally. He will greet a few of them that he knows. He knows Phoebe, and uh, he's well. He's not Phoebe's not there. He's sending Phoebe to to deliver this letter, um, and he be, he greets. He knows a few. He knows Aquila and Priscilla who were in Rome and then left and were his friends and then went back again. So he knows a few of them, but he's never been there. Do himself. they know him? Yes. Yes. So, so is his. Uh, so several he, of the several of the leaders know him. Yeah. But I would say it would be fair to say that many in the church don't know him. Does he have a reputation? I'd say he has a reputation. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what – well, he definitely would have a reputation because this this is like a secondhand church. He hasn't been to Rome himself, but the people who've planted this church would have been – many of them would have been his disciples or people who'd been in other churches that he had run. So he would have enough of a report. What happened when he did get to Rome? <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. And when we end up in prison for a period of time, at least twice he was probably in Rome uh, at different times. So what happened when he got to Rome – later is probably different again to what's happening here. It's, it's harsh. It's and harsh. I think there is probably a degree in which there's a, there's an element of frustration about the fact that he's, Paul is very passionate about the church being united and yeah. this church is not united since the Jews have come back. So he's now going to rebuke the, he does a bit of both. He rebukes, he rebukes the Jews and he rebukes the Gentiles in this passage. Yes. He goes on for quite a while rebuking people. Yeah. <laughs> I, excuse me. I've got um, verse 14, read. This is when he gets to the Gentiles. Poor Gentiles. (laughs) Wait, we're Gentiles, aren't we? Yes, we're Gentiles, yep. Where does it start? He's being nice. Even Gentiles who, who do not have God's written law, why don't they have, do they have their own law? Uh, well, God's written law is the Mosaic law. So he's okay. saying the Gentiles have not been raised as Jews. They don't know anything about Moses' law. They might know there's a few Christians in town, a few Jews in town who keep, keep the Sabbath and are circumcised and a few of those crazy Jews over there, but they aren't living by that same Mosaic law. So they, they don't know the Ten Is the law they the, don't know ten, the ten, ten Commandments? And all the stuff, the Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they didn't know any of that. And they don't have anything to follow of their own? Uh, yeah, they have their own code, but radically different. A Roman, Greco-Roman law code was very different. The way their family life was different. Uh, you know, there was uh, a lot of patriarchy. Uh, you know, the, Ro- the Roman system was not – it looked good on the surface because there was this seeming level of peace, the Pax Romana, but underneath it was a lot of selfish living, a lot of pagan worship, 
a lot of sexual um, sin that was taking place in pagan temples, a lot of abuse of, of other people. So it was pretty messed up so for Gentiles. could Gentiles be Romans? Gentiles were anyone oh, who's so not a Gentiles Jew. Is a Gentile. were Rowans. And so the Jews. Rowans. Gentiles were Rowans. Rowans. <laughs> the Gentiles were anybody who's not a Jew. Okay. So in this case, a lot of them would be Greeks and Romans in the empire. But yeah. the Jews did live in Rome as well, yeah? Yes, yeah. yeah. So the Jews, uh, after, yeah, the Jews had, by this time, the Jews had scattered all over the Roman Empire and also all the way to Babylon. So, yes, they, there was Jews well over the known world. And they usually would stick in their little enclaves. Um, like largely the Jews do today. You'll often find them living in the eastern suburbs of Sydney or whatever. They often do stick together. And they did then too. There is a lot in this chapter. It goes, um, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts, either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. That's cool. So this is a conscience issue here. So yeah. Paul is counteracting. See, the mo- the Jews had this thing of we have to obey the law, and if we don't even know the law, we we have to obey it. And Jesus makes it really clear that you can, you know, you can strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You think you're obeying all the law, and you're missing justice and the love of God because you're focusing on the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. What Paul is saying here is, even people who've never had that, God can still work on their heart, yeah. and their conscience can be such that it's like they have the law because they intuitively keep it because their conscience is in relationship with God and God is able to speak to them. And in contrast, they say, some of you Jews, you think you're saved by the the law. Exactly. He says, some of you Jews, you think you're saved by the law, but these Gentiles are behaving better than you are, is what he's saying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, You call yourself Jews and relying on God's law and you boast about your, quote, special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right. Because you've been taught his law and you're convinced that you can be a, glo- a, a guide for blind and a light for the people in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant Gentiles and teach them the ways of God. But you're certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge of the truth. Well, if you teach others, why aren't you going to teach yourself? You who tell others to steal, how about you stop stealing yourself? You who think it's wrong to commit adultery, why are you doing it yourself? So having the letter of the law... And do and try and do it and missing the big parts is worse than yeah. not having the law at all and just having it written on your heart and living the right way. Could someone make a, a letter or a speech like this in this day and age to people? Uh, you get you some pushback. Politicians, yeah, you get some pushback, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, he's written. He's writing to. He's writing to Christians. Yeah. Always keep that in mind. This is not written to the Roman government. This is written to people who are claiming to follow Christ. And, yes, sometimes the word to Christians needs to be stronger than it is to the non-Christians because they didn't sign up to live by our law. But these are people who are in the church who have said, I'm going to live God's way, and they're not. So Paul is calling them on that. Mm. It's cool. And then uh, around verse 25, the the circumcision Mm -hmm. talk comes into it. Was it a law at the time that everyone had to be circumcised or just Jews? Uh, it was only a law that Jews had. Well, it was a Jewish law that had to be circumcised. Gentiles generally weren't circumcised. Jews were. And that had been the case throughout throughout Jewish history. Uh, so they would they would expect that this was the issue is that Jewish Christians were saying to Gentile Christians, you can worship Jesus, yes, but you need to be circumcised. You need to become a Jew. Because Christianity is only for the Jews, and Paul would say, no, it's not only for the Jews, it's for Jews and Gentiles. Circumcision's a good thing 
if you go on and obey God's law. But being circumcised alone, if you don't obey God's law, if you're not living for him, it's pointless, he would say. You might as well, you're no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. He yeah. says in verse 25. Gosh, it seems like such a division, this circumcision thing. Oh, it was a big deal. Big deal. Yeah. Paul, so the Apostle Paul didn't. The context is that it was a big deal. It was a massive deal in Paul's in Paul's thinking. But you couldn't look. You can't look at somebody in the eye and know if they're circumcised or not. <laughs> no, no, they uh, they would carry, <clears throat> they would carry around a, a a proof that they were circumcised. Oh, really? Yeah, Gentiles didn't care. But like a vaccination Jew, card. It was almost like a vaccination card. Yeah, <laughs> Gentiles didn't care, but uh, the Jews did care. I, I can tell you a funny story on this. Many many years ago, our friend Jonathan Keldy was. Uh, Preaching. I may have told this podcast. I may have told this on the podcast. I can't recall, but we were at a leaders' meeting in our Picton location, and John McKelvey was preaching about Paul uh, taking Timothy and circumcising Timothy yeah, yeah. so he could take him on the mission trip, and uh, and so John just carries on like he says. Um, he goes, so you know, the reason Paul got Timothy circumcised is so then anytime he went anywhere to a synagogue, he could just flip it out, and everyone would know he was circumcised, and it'd be okay. And then he just just kept on. He didn't realize what he said. He just kept on. And these ladies up the back started to chuckle and they were in hysterics up the back as he's just carrying on with this message completely unaware he said it. I said, what are you laughing at? He goes, you said he'd just flip it out. They know he was circumcised. He goes, the card. I mean the card. He flipped the card out. Not- <laughs> oh, that's a funny one. <laughs> so, yeah, they had, they had a circumcision card. They didn't have to go around and drop their trousers every time they wanted to and prove that was circumcised. But it was for the Jews. It wasn't okay. for the Gentiles didn't care. That was the point. It was the Jews that were insisting on Gentile Christians being circumcised and Paul was very adamant that what's the good in doing that if you're not actually Well, he definitely goes on about this for a while. Yeah, the entire book of Galatians is about this, the whole book. So, um, You Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it for you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or be gone. So you've gone through circumcision. Circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. That's right. A true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather it's a change of heart. That's mm. great. So in that's a, in a nutshell rounds, there, rounds that's how he rounds it, it up and goes, what really matters is what's going on inside your heart. Yeah. And the outworking of that. If, if it's in your heart, it will flow out of your heart and you will live a life that is kingdom oriented. You will care for the poor, the widow, the foreign and the orphan. So is that like pharisaical, like they would say you have to be circumcised. These are the things you have to go through and then you are a practicing Christian. Exactly. Yep. They thought you had to become Jewish and that incorporated circumcision and keeping Torah, which is like 613 laws. You had to keep all of these things. And Paul goes, no, no, that's not what circumcision, that's not what it's about. It's about the fact that Jesus has fulfilled all of that. And what he's looking for is a change of heart that he will give you so that you actually fulfill the underlying spirit behind all those laws. All those, Jesus says things like, you've heard that was not, you know, do not commit in the Sermon on the Mount, do not commit murder. Yep. But I tell you, if you're angry with your brother, you've committed murder. Jesus raises the bar and shows the spirit behind the written code. Paul would say, circumcision is not going to mean anything if you yep. don't actually have that change of heart. Did the people of Rome know the gospel? Do they know? Uh, at this point, there's only a small group probably that do. Most of Rome the is... The way. The way, yep, that's right. Exactly <laughs> what it's called. Um, obviously, a couple of hundred years later, the entire Roman Empire will uh, will fall to, you know, become Christian. 
but that come over the next couple of hundred years. But at this point, it's probably just a small, few small house churches in Rome. Yeah, okay. It wouldn't have been like by any means a massive number of people. But Paul is writing to the church and they would know it? They would know it, yes. Yeah. Okay. That's right. So he doesn't have to explain that. He's, no. He's explaining more the law versus the heart. Yes, exactly what he's yeah. explaining. Yeah, that's right. That's where he goes in Romans 1 and 2. All right. Let's hit Romans 3. Romans 3, title, in, uh, oh, this one says God remains faithful. In the Amplified, it says um, all the world guilty. Okay, very different different <laughs> explanations. That's radically different, isn't it? All the world guilty and God remains faithful. Interesting. It follows on, yeah? God's faithfulness is what the NIV says. Yes, so he's he's following on from his previous thoughts. So let's just quickly track it. He talked about all of all people and the sin condition. Yeah. Then he ha- hammered down into the Jews and started to talk about how, you know, they were expecting Gentiles to behave a certain way and they thought obeying the law and being circumcised was enough. Yeah. So he's kind of at the end of the last chapter, he's kind of unwound all the belief about circumcision uh, and being a Jew. And now he's going to wind it back a little bit. Yep. And say, okay, well, well, because they'd be going, well, okay, what's the point of being Jewish? You know, yeah. What is, does the Jewish have anything to do with it? I mean, you mentioned in Romans one where it says the Jew first, then the Gentile. Yeah. So he's going to kind of unpack that a little bit and explain that there is value in being a Jew, and he will do that more and more in Romans nine, ten, eleven. I think he'll talk extensively about the Jewish, his heart for the Jewish people. It's just that he's going to try and explain that a true Jew is not just one who's an outward Jew but someone who's been through this experience. So you and I, in that sense, are true Jews. We've been through the experience of salvation. We've met Jesus. We are fulfilling what the Jewish people are supposed to be filled. And he will say okay. things in Romans like, we are, we were a wild olive shoot and now we have been grafted into the actual olive plant, which was the Jewish nation. So you and I, even though we're Gentiles, we're actually Jewish. We've been grafted in. You'll see this develop wow. in later chapters okay. in Romans. So he's going to try and explain what are the benefits of being Jewish now that he's explained all the things the Jews were doing wrong? All right. Well, it was confusing to me because it con- in confusing. my notes I've put, um, I found the start of this chapter confusing. Can I read through some of it and you explain? Okay, you just did though. No, maybe, maybe, maybe. Because uh, it starts with then what? what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Yes, there are great benefits for, first of all, the Jews were – entrusted with the whole revelation of God. How did they get that by being circumcised? Not through the circumcision, but specifically, but through the revelation of God he's talking about there is the Mosaic law through Moses. Okay. So they they were the Jewish people. God revealed himself to them and chose them as his treasured possession. So that's what he's trying to say. They were the ones who were being circumcised in by sight. That sight of their circumcision yes. makes them? In the Old Testament, <clears throat> circumcision was the outward sign that they had been included in God's family. And they, what about women? I don't know if I asked this later, yeah, so but what not, about women? There's a lot of focus around circumcision here, but it's it's circumcision as a, as a small part of what the Mosaic law. When you read circumcision, that's part of it, but it's actually keeping Torah. It's actually keeping all the Old Testament laws. Okay. 
Okay, so when you read it, don't just think about getting the snip. Think about think about more than that. Think about observing Torah, eating kosher, all the ways they would eat, all the things they would do, all the stuff you right. read in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, all those infectious observing skin diseases, Sabbath and observing and Sabbath, all <laughs> that is all incorporated into this term of circumcision. Ah, okay. okay. Well, that does answer it. That lot, sort of it? probably makes a bit more sense there. Yeah. Okay. True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true as the scriptures say about him. You will be proved right in what you say and will win your case in court. What does that mean? That is a quote from... Psalm 51. Ah, so this is where he starts. He's starting to quote. So I've mentioned this in previous podcasts. When you read these quotes that seem, this is something I've learned in the last 18 months of my Christian journey, really. I'd often find these Psalms, uh, these quotes, especially from the Psalms, but from Isaiah and that, and I'd go, I don't get what he's saying. What's he quoting there? Why is he inserted it? Why is he just stuck in? Yeah, and it sort of looks like it's sort of out of context. You. You get it's different impr- writing in my Bible. You do. It's, yeah. You can see it's a quote, but you kind of get the point that he th- you read it as though he thinks that the quote is proving the point he's just made. Ah. You know what I mean? Like we, we would think if we read a quote. So we, referencing. We were referenced. If we're reading yeah. an academic book and we see a quote, the idea of that quote is that it's someone else confirming the point that you've just made. And normally that quote will actually verify that. Okay. But it doesn't seem to necessarily do that easily, as easily in this. Mm. And what I have learned in the last few years is that that is actually what the Hebrews call, the Jews call a remez. Mm. A remez is a quote from an Old Testament scripture. All the gospel writers do this. The Apostle Paul does it. It was a common Jewish practice. They quote from the Old Testament scripture, insert a little quote, into the New Testament passage, and the idea is that the quote itself is not supposed to be the be-all and end-all. What you're supposed to do is take that quote, go back to Psalm 51 in this case, read all of Psalm 51. It's like okay. a little hyperlink. Wow. Don't think of it as though it's a, it's a quote that is proving the point. It's supposed to be like, click here. Wow. <laughs> so click here, go back, and all of Psalm 51, not just that little verse, the one verse they've quoted, all of Psalm 51 will now shed light on what he's saying in the, his argument he's building. I hope right. Did I make sense? Yeah, that makes sense yeah. to me, yeah. so in, good. And all of Psalm 51 is all about David's sin with Bathsheba and his song of repentance, oh, create, creating about. me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So we won't do it now for the sake of time, but if you did that, you'd probably find that Psalm 51 – would make a lot more sense than just this little quote, you will be proved right in what you say and you will win your case in court. <laughs> it just seems to be out of context. Yeah. Okay, so go back, read all of Psalm 51 and it'll shed some light. That is good. That okay. is a good explanation. Called a remez. Remez. Sounds mm. a bit more romantic than it actually is. Yeah. But some might say our, <clears throat> our sinfulness serves a good purpose for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? They're talking about God punishing them. Yeah, the argument about, here is they're saying, well, you know, if God's going to be gracious to us, then we, the more we sin, the more gracious God is. Why is God punishing us for sinning? Um, you know, isn't it ultimately serving God's purpose? Why should God? Why should God punish us? And he's going to say, this is not the way it works. This is not. This is merely a human point of view. If God was not entirely fair, how would He be qualified to judge the world? Mm. So he's building an argument. Someone might still argue, but how can God condemn me as a sinner 
if my dishonesty highlights God's truthfulness better. In other words, God, my sin is actually serving to magnify your greatness. So you should you should thank him for my sinful attitude. Yeah. You should thank him for my sinful behaviors. He's going, no, that's not the way it is. Some are actually saying the more we sin, the better it is. Yeah, that's it. What a stupid argument. <laughs> actually, the more we sin, the, the more it shows God's goodness. And that's what they were doing. That's good. I like that. He, he, he says, well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better off than others? No, not at all. We've already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, were under the power of sin. So he's now trying to put everyone together, which is probably what you, what did you amplify to say? All are <clears> sinners? <throat> they, the title, I'm not in the amplifier anymore. He said something like all people are sinners or yep. something. That's what he's trying to say. He, Paul is building an argument that whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you have the law or not have the law, whether you're circumcised or not circumcised, we're all in the same boat. We are all under the control of sin. Yeah, I've got verse 10 to 18. Who is this talking about and where does it come from? Which is the next next bit. No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul. So is he talking about sinners? He's talking about all of us. Remember, we're, still, now oh, we're, we're all, all in the sinners. same boat. That's we're, all, right. we're all in that boat. There's actually in this 10 to, what did you say, 10 to 18? Yeah, is that, looking at my is that more um, from other? It's lots of remezes. Yeah. So I'm just looking at the quote here. There's, 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 a, there's a quote from Psalm 14. There's a quote from Psalm 53. <coughs> there's a quote from Psalm 5. There's a quote from Psalm 10. you got to know, this guy knows his Bible. I hey? know, yes. There's a quote from Isaiah 59. So there's about six or seven remez quotes there. Yes. That we could just skip over. And if I'm honest, I read that and go, it's just like doesn't make any sense to me. Well, that's, I was like, what, what's he, who's he, who's he talking to now? And what's yeah. he going on about? Yeah. When I didn't see this because the NLT has a title at the start of that, All People Are Sinners. Yeah. The, yeah, the, the Amplified said that, I think. So he's really I, giving it to him. He is. Us. He's giving it to all of us, including <laughs> himself. You know, he's yeah. going to include himself in this. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, each one of those times you read in Romans, it's a remez. Take your time. Read it slow. Read the Old Testament scriptures. This is like six Psalms and a chapter out of Isaiah there that would all probably shed light on this passage. Yeah. Because on their own, they just seem like a whole lot of random quotes that don't really make the point. It's not the way we would... It's not the way we would do literature. And it's partly why Peter says, hey, some people find this hard to understand because I do. I do. I do. <laughs> Even reading it now, I do. Yeah. Um, and here, here's what, you know, here's the problem with taking scriptures a little bit out of context and just quoting them. Uh, like uh, he's going to go on to verse 23, one of the most famous verses used in the Roman road, for all everyone has sinned and fall short of the glory of God's standard or the glory of God. We quote that scripture, Romans 3.23. Yeah. It's true, but let's put it, it, it makes so much more when we put it into the context of what he's saying. Yeah. Because I had um, in my notes, why does Paul reference books that aren't in the Bible till later? And I guess I just trust that it's all in chronological order, but we've had a little conversation about Galatians was written before Romans and yep. when was it all collated together then? Uh, the New Testament was a whole bunch of random letters sent out all over the place. They were they were largely collated and put together um, into its current format, not until the mid-300s. 
Wow. So some 300 years after this. Gosh. Yeah. So people would have had little letters of Paul from the Romans or they... they, they and so was the Galatians like a scroll in itself? Uh, they weren't maybe. scrolls. So scrolls were the Old Testament thing. But by the time we get to the New Testament, they've got like a form of book. It's it's like they're writing on parchments. They're writing on parchments. small pieces of yeah, paper okay. um, that they would often join together. So it, they didn't have to unroll a scroll and find the reading. They had those, but yes, parchment uh, technology was more the common way to do it. So it'd be little, little letters that were written on three or four pieces of parchment. It was very expensive. Parchment was very expensive. Yeah. It was usually animal skin or something like that. So um, they were prized possessions when you would have a parchment in those early years. To have some of Paul's writings or any of the Gospels was a was a prized possession. So it's so it's when you look at the Bible, you shouldn't just go, oh, it all happened like this, boom, 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 boom. No. Yeah. Which is, I guess that's the point I'm making that I might've previously thought that I'm starting to work out. It's been put together in a certain way, but that way is by no means chronological order. order. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. No, by no means. Often it's different. Uh, If you've got your U version Bible out, there is a couple of chronological, um, chronological Bible plans. Oh really? So you can actually do your Bible plan over the Bible in a year or whatever and do it in a chronological order. Yeah, so okay. they've actually taken it and put it, and they'll put the Psalms in where they belong in the story and all that sort of stuff as well. So wow, that's pretty often cool. the Psalms will say, you know, Psalm 51 will say when David's in with Bathsheba. Yep. So they'll actually insert it into that part of the story in, in 2 Samuel when it happens and things like that. So, yes, it's a, it's an interesting way to read the Bible, read it chronologically like that. Cool. So for the rest of um, Romans 3, Paul starts talking Jesus, doesn't he? Yep. Fill me in. Christ. Yep. Because he'd uh, yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when He held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For He was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. That's cool. So, yeah, you're right. That's a summary. He spent all his time saying, you're not, you're not saved by being Jewish. You're not saved by this. We're all, we're all in the same now boat. He's bringing and now he's in. bringing Jesus. They were actually saved through faith in Christ and him paying the price for that sinful nature that affects all of us. Mm. Yeah. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? So he's bringing it, bringing it all full circle. Generalization in here. Of course he is. There is only one God and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well, then if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. So you could think he's <laughs> now he's cycling back to obeying the law again. It's it's like, which one is it, Paul? And he's this is what he's saying. He's saying you cannot obey the law because of your sinful nature. No matter how much you try, you will fall short of obeying the law. Got it. However, through faith in Christ and his defeat of sin, 
you are now empowered to obey God's law. Yeah, right. To live God's way. To fulfill the law is it's not about necessarily, he's not saying fulfill all 613 commandments and eat yeah. kosher. He's not saying that. He's saying you can actually fulfill what all of that was supposed to point to. Wow. The Which is summed up in love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's Jesus' words yep. summarizing all of the law. And Paul would say you can't do it apart from Christ, but in Christ you can now love the Lord your God with all your heart and you can now love your neighbor as yourself. Beautiful. That's the summary of Romans That's 1, 2, great. and 3. Should we do Romans 4? Did you say that they're grouped together? Romans 1 to 4 is a whole theme. So I think we might do Romans, do Romans 4, 4 and then we'll, and then we'll go to, back to the Psalms. We yeah. might as well. Yep. Okay. All right. Let's go for it. Alrighty, Romans 4, and it's rounding out the first four chapters yep. of Romans. Um, first train of thought. It does talk about circumcision a lot, and I have already asked about females, but then you grouped it in that it's not just circumcision, it's the whole law, which explains a lot to me about that. Yep. Um, he goes straight into the uh, talking about Abraham, and I sort of was like, why is he going on about Abraham and his righteousness? Sure. And... Um, is, you know, why is Abraham the spiritual father of us all? Or okay. is, is that just for the Jews? That's, that's the father point Abraham he's trying to make. Has many, many sons. sons. I am one of them and we're <laughs> Gentiles. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So I'm one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. That's right arm. <laughs> right arm, left arm. We did that in church, didn't we? We did. We did. That's all right. We did that here. Uh, okay. So let's just give a, let's give a brief summary of Romans 4. I don't think we need to go into it in any great depth. Yeah. It's rounding out this whole theme of everything he's just said. He's just said at the end of Romans 3, that we are saved by faith, yep. not by our good deeds or our circumcision or our law keeping. We're saved by our hearts have been changed and circumcised by the Spirit of God. Yep. Now he's going to circle back to the father of the Jews. Yep. And he's actually going to say, look, you Jews who think that keeping the law would save you, I'm going to show you that even your father, Abraham, Father Abraham, he actually was saved before he was circumcised. Ah, That's what he's saying. Right. So what he's going to do is he's going to go on, he's going to explain, where are we? Verse, um, verse 9, it says, Now, is this blessing only for the Jews or is it also for the uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we've been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of faith. But how did this happen? When was he counted as righteous? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised or before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham had already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him righteous even before he was circumcised. It's a little bit of context. Wow. God made a promise to Abraham. He said, you're going to be the father of many nations. I will bless all people through you. All nations will be blessed through you. And this is in Genesis chapter 12, I think. And it says, Abraham believed God and God credited to him as righteousness. Right. So what he's saying, the act of faith, the act of trusting in the promise of what God had said was showing that Abraham had faith towards God and he was righteous in his heart. You'd have to have some faith to have children at a hundred. hundred, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's a pretty strong faith there. But he's going to go on and he's going to explain, but 
if you read the story, and they all re- they know the story. Yeah. If you read the story, circumcision came later, not yeah, before okay. that. So it wasn't the act of circumcision that made the person saved. The act of circumcision was an outward sign of what had already happened inside his heart. In the same way as we would say baptism, water baptism yeah, just, that's does exactly not make happened. a person saved. Yeah. You don't get saved if you're not, you know, it's not the act of being saved. It's like a circumcision. It's yeah. an outward sign of something that has already happened inside our heart. I've so, been saved and now, and now I now feel I'm, like yes. in my heart I want to get baptized. And in many ways, baptism in water and the communion especially, those two, are new uh, forms. modern forms of what would be circumcision and law keeping. So they're wow, supposed to point really is to something greater. Mm. So I think that's the summary Paul's, he's gone full circle here. And he's shown that it's not keeping law, it's not keeping kosher, it's not being circumcised. They're all great, but only if your heart has been transformed first. And then by all means, if you want to keep kosher, do it. But yep. do it out of a heart that's not earning favour with God. It's a heart of response and that gratitude towards what God has already done for you in Christ Jesus. Beautiful. Yeah, and in verse 12 it says, And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. So that's quite an inflammatory <clears throat> comment to every yeah. Jew who thought, oh, no, I'm <laughs> circumcised, I'm one of I'm Abraham's right. children. And Jesus will say the same in John 8. He'll say, "We're Ab-, they, the Jews say, we're Abraham's children. We've never been slaves to anyone. And Jesus will say, well, if you really were Abraham's children and you believe in me because Abraham spoke about me. And he mm. says it's not just, Jesus would say the same thing, it's not just being a, a circumcised Jew that makes you truly one of God's children. It's those who have faith. Wow. And then he, he keeps hammering. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary mm. and the promise is pointless for the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. <laughs> yeah. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham's. So the call here in these opening chapters is all of us need to are saved, are made right with God through faith in the fact that Jesus has died for our sins. He has defeated the power of sin. And if we will accept that, enter into relationship with him, that is faith and that is how we are made right, not through any kind of Rule keeping, and so we we you know we look down on the Jews for that, but, but we all, Christians all try to keep rules too. Oh, oh yeah. I have to go to church. I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to read my Bible. They're all good things, and we should do them. Yeah, but they don't earn a salvation. No, their response to the free gift is what Paul mm. is saying here. How does this connect to praise? The Romans and uh, well, yeah, the rounding out of this. I think when I probably originally started, I was looking at the Romans. One praise stuff, oh, how he starts. and I wanted yeah. to link a few together. Yeah. But, but that said, I think the summing up Romans four here, if we get the the gist of the the whole argument of Romans one to four, it should Not lead law, us to but praise. Heart, which exactly, is praise. yeah. That that it should lead us to praise that salvation is a free gift. Yeah, that has been offered to us. That should cause us to praise God, mm. not try to somehow earn favor. We we're praising Him for what. He has offered us, not what we have earned. Yes. I think that should lead us into praise. Yeah, that's good. Another 
on my notes was what is the doctrine of justification by faith? What I've just described. Oh, okay. Exactly what I've just described. (laughs) So justification by faith is we have been made right with God through faith. Right. Not through works. Okay. That's exactly what it means. And is that what he's describing? That's his argument that he's describing here. That you don't get justified with God. Justified means to be put right, brought into relationship with. You don't get put into relationship with God because you're circumcised, you keep kosher, you obey Sabbath, you do the law, whatever. You become right with God through faith. So justification by faith is the summary of Romans 1 to 4. Beautiful. Yeah. It's just, he keeps going on about Abraham. Yeah, the whole chapters of, and he'll come back to he'll come back to Abraham and the Jews a little later on in Romans nine as well, I think. But but then he finishes with um, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in Him. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, He was handed over to die because of our sins, and He was raised to life to make us right with God. That sounds praiseworthy. Yes, that it? is. You could praise on that, and that's how he rounds it out. Yeah, absolutely. Romans four. Well, that was yeah. very interesting. Thank you for explaining. Uh, I had fun that. with that one. Uh, no, 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 I'm not an expert. I mean, right, look, I'll be the first to say Romans is is a complex book. I think I'll be delving the depths of Book of Romans. I'm still as confused. I read Book Romans often. And I go, what on earth? I think <laughs> I, th- I thought I figured it out, and then I go, oh, there's a whole d- different level here. Romans is a confusing book. It's a beautiful book, and it's got great wisdom, but it's deep. And the ones that come after it are confusing to me as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you go to five to eight, and it's different. I mean, we've we've dealt in this series with the whole yeah. Romans six, seven, the sin stuff. That's yeah. probably given that a bit of a, a bit of a kick. You go back and look at the previous episodes on on sin. Oh yes, so definitely. With Jeannie, it's there. But, uh, I don't ones. think we've tackled Romans nine to twelve really that much, but we'll see. We might do that at some point. Anyway, we're going to circle back to Psalm one hundred and forty-seven. Psalm 147, I have labelled this another of the praisiest psalms. <laughs> praisiest, my new word. Uh, I like that word. <laughs> praisiest with the praisiest psalms. <laughs> Praise ye the Lord with the praisiest of psalms. And this is another one that uh, starts and finishes with, with the hallelujah. The hallelujah. Doesn't mi- I don't think there's much mixing up of the words in this one. My first note was who lives in Jerusalem at this, the time this was written. Uh, it will have been during the time, if it's not time, the time day, the time of David, it will be in the time of the kings after David. So this is okay. in the period of time, once the temple is established and they're, they're still in their homeland. Uh, it, a lot of these Psalms, the best times in Jerusalem's time was probably under, uh, under David and then later under Hezekiah. So, so, so was it Israelites? They, yeah, the Jews. Yeah. Yep. Oh, the Jews. Israelites. They were, yes, they Israelites. The yep. This is God's people. Okay. Yep. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel and these are the so people. that was another one of my points was, is this a localized psalm just for the Israelites in Jerusalem? Jerusalem. Um, well, yeah, Jerusalem is the uh, is the heaven on earth touchdown point for all Jews. So the Jews didn't just live in the city of Jerusalem. They lived across much of the, the land of Israel, spread out over, you know, better part of 150 kilometers in each direction kind of thing. Um, but they would come to Jerusalem. It was the epitome of their worship. Okay. So this applied to Jews living up in the Galilee region. It applied to Jews living like a spiritual in the home. Jerusalem was like their spiritual home. Absolutely, yeah, cool. it was the, the temple was the touchdown point of heaven on earth. The Jews actually saw Eden. They saw 
Jerusalem, the temple as oh, the new right. Eden. Okay. That's why they would sing the Psalms of Ascent as they would go up, come yeah. and just go to the house of the Lord and into the, they would see that this was the touchdown point. So yeah. yeah, David's going on. Oh, do we know if David wrote uh, this one? Doesn't say. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. I who put wrote that David if he did write this, he references Jacob and I are they related or are they similar? That they rose to mightiness from humble beginnings or is David a descendant of Jacob? Yes, he's a descendant of Jacob. Okay. Uh, he is a descendant. Jacob uh, he had, a, had 12 sons. One of those was Judah, the fourth one. And David is a descendant of Judah. And is he referencing Jacob because of, that he that he came from a humble beginning? Where is that part of this song? Where is that? Oh, no, it's down in 19. He has revealed his words to Jacob, his decrees and regulations to, to Israel. Israel. Okay. He's not done this for any other nation. Oh, that's okay. right at the end. Yeah, that's fine. So actually, interestingly there, just before we get to the Jacob-Israel thing, the fact that it says the Lord is rebuilding Jerusalem and bringing the exiles back to Israel, I wonder if this psalm may have been written after the exile. So I said it was written during that time yeah. when, when they were still in the land. It's possible this was written after they had been exiled to Babylon and they were coming back again. Uh, it's possible of that. Okay. It's also possible that some of these psalms were written. You know how you write add a verse to a song? Yeah. Or, you know, that's, ah, it's possible right. the song existed in a format, but then hundreds of years later they add in or change the words to suit their context. So it may have been all of that. So mm. in, answer, in answer to your other question about Israel and Jacob, they are just interchangeable words. Ah. Okay, so Jacob had his name changed to Israel when he wrestled with God in Genesis 32, something like that. Um, he wrestled with God all night long. Is he the guy with the hip problems? The hip problems, yep. <laughs> yes, you identify with him, yeah. So he he had his name, God ch- touched his hip and said, you are no longer Jacob, your name shall be Israel. Ah, and so yeah, okay. his name was changed to Israel and both those names become synonymous with the same thing. So especially in this poetry format, which is what it was there in verse 19. Let's look at it. It says, he has revealed his words to Jacob, his decrees and regulations to Israel. Same thing, written two different ways. So often Israel and Jacob will be um, riff riff off each other as the same thing. Often, I would add there, oftentimes when the Bible and the prophets in the Old Testament refer to the nation of Israel as Jacob, they refer to Israel at its worst. Okay. Because Jacob was a bit of a deceiver. His word means heel grabber, supplanter, deceiver. Mm-hmm. So they'll often refer to, to when it's a bit like, you know, if Amanda says to you, Kenneth, if she's, <laughs> if she's happy with you, she'll call you Kenny. If she's not happy with you, she'll call you Kenneth. You know, you do that with the kids. You know, it's yeah. like, it's like if he calls you Jacob, you should take notice. He's probably not happy with you. If he calls you Israel, oh, that's okay. Everything's okay. It's a little bit like that. I like it. Yeah. There's a lot floating around in my head about um, all that. There's too many names, changes and stuff. Mm. Yeah, it's a lot of name changes. <laughs> and what is... Jude, is Judah Jerusalem as well? Or that Ju- was the tribe of Judah? Jerusalem was a tribe. Sorry, Judah was a tribe, tribe, one of the 12 tribes. And uh, Jerusalem was the capital of the tribe of Judah. That's it. Which happened to be the capital of all of Israel. Yeah. So much to learn, mate. Mm. Well, if you come to Israel, you get to see all that sort of stuff. It makes a whole lot more sense if you can go there. But, yes, that's so much to learn. Anything else you want to add about this psalm or should we head on to 150? Let's go to 150, eh? That's a, yep. a good psalm to round out the praise component. Then we'll do one more chapter in 1 Corinthians after that. I'm going to 
go to spec savers. <laughs> Kenny's got his glasses on. He's got his glasses off. He's trying to work. His music's playing away. And he's going. I oh, can't no. see unless I put the. Can we hold right that here up. for you, Kenny? No, no, it's good. It's good. But I'm just at this yeah. terrible stage. I need to go to spec savers. Funny story on that. One time, Jill said to the kids, uh, she got some glasses somewhere, and she said, oh, "I should have gone to spec savers." And she didn't realise that she actually said the thing that the jingle of the ad was. The kids thought it was hilarious. They said, what do you mean, Mum? You should have gone to, she said, yeah, I should have gone to Specsavers. They thought it was hilarious that she didn't even know that was their actual ad. She did the <laughs> ad without knowing She did it. the ad with it. Either that or it was sublimely gone in and she hadn't realised. Yeah, that was funny. Psalm 150, rounding out the Psalms of praise, pretty much. It's a short Psalm, so I'm going to read it. Go for it. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath. Come on, Kenny. (laughs) Yep, you got it. I wanted to sort of finish up on the Psalms where I started that even though this goes on a lot about music, praise is not just music. Mm. Praise is... Of the heart? Would you say that yes. it's of the heart? Yep. It's totally of the heart. It's a heart. You can sing, it's a you positioning can sing of songs of worship and your heart's yeah. nowhere near the you – know, you're singing along in the car or singing a worship song and your heart's not there. Yeah. So the act is not in itself. It's an outward sign but it doesn't automatically link to what's going on inside the heart. And God would say, I'd rather have what's going on inside your heart yeah. than what's going on outside. And praise is an act, isn't it? Yes, it's an act. Sometimes involuntary, sometimes yep. voluntary. Yep. I've – feel like praise is also a weapon yep. against the enemy. Yep. Is it okay to say that? Yes, it is. Yep. Yep. yep it certainly is. It's plenty of, plenty of scriptures. It, can be u- it has that. many uses. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it will always align us with God and bring us into, um, into parallel with where he's at and what he wants for our lives. That's what it's supposed to do. Yep. And I guess it would look different to every person. Really, praise. In some ways, it would be similar, but everybody would have, might have their own praise, prayer of praise. Yes, yes, that's right. And some people yeah. will be reflective in their praise. Yeah. Uh, and this is—I was chatting with might have been a staff on Monday about this—is that you know, praise isn't always up and to the right. It's not always shouting, raise yeah. your hands, and all that sort of stuff. There's a place for that. Yeah. But I'm not naturally wired that way. I actually my praise if left to myself, is more often than not more reflective and contemplative. And I'm yeah. I'm allowing myself to sense God speak to me in quiet. And there's plenty of Psalms that talk about that too, you know, in quietness and surrender. Yeah. You know, so it's it's the full gamut of a human emotion. Yeah. It's the full gamut of different aspects of bodily position. There's only one <laughs> there's, there's only one bodily position that is not used in relation to praise in the Bible. I think I've heard this. It's what we're doing right now. Yeah. We're sitting. sitting. Yeah. It's the only one. You <laughs> there's can laying there's prone. laying prone. There's <laughs> dancing. We've seen dancing either. There's there's hands raised. Yeah. There's shouting. There's standing. 
all of this kneeling, there's all of those except sitting. What's wrong with sitting? Well, I think that's the point. Because you're not doing anything. I think it's passive. Yeah. I think that's the very point is that that it's okay to be still and know that I'm God, but even when I'm still and know that I'm God, my heart's not necessarily passive. I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on engaging my heart with God. Yeah. There's still an active it might not be manifesting itself in an outward expression physically, yeah. but my heart is still manifesting itself actively in pursuit mm. of God. Um, and yeah. that, that doesn't, it might even be just, that can be a surrender. That can be just a complete stillness before God, but I'm still actively still yeah. in my heart before God. <laughs> I know sometimes I'm, I could just be standing there during worship getting smashed, but, but Amanda will just about knock me out of the way totally, with her arms. Totally, all of those things. I, rem- I remember <laughs> hitting some guy, some young kid in the head many years ago right beside me. I didn't even know he was there. Got a bit active in my praise. So all of that yeah. comes back to essentially what Paul was talking about in Romans. It's it's what's going on inside our hearts. Yeah. Praise starts in our heart and it will manifest itself in different ways. And in Psalm 50 here at 150, it's manifesting itself in, he's talking about music and dance and all that. Yeah. It's not the only way, but it's it's one way. And traditionally it's been, you know, music has been a part of church history from the beginning. Yeah. And the, ch- the Christian church adopted that music, worship music from the Old Testament. Mm. Many religions don't have music. Muslims don't have singing as part of their worship practice. Wow. They have chanting but not yeah. singing. So um, singing is deeply stooped in Jewish it definitely history. definitely seems to break through into the heart somehow well, in circumstances, th- situations. It isn't it because music in does itself it bring your defenses tra- down? It does. Well, music in itself is transcends yeah. time and space. Music – you can't pin down what does, what music is or what it does. It, it, no. Intuitively, we know there's something trans-dimensional yeah. about music, isn't there? It just seems to speak at a di- – it's a different language at a different level speaking mm. to a different part of us. Yeah, it's well put. Very good. Hmm. I think we'll leave it at that. All right. We will wrap it up with uh, 1 Corinthians 1. Then. 1 Corinthians 1. Let's go. Our last chapter for the day, 1 Corinthians 1. In my notes I have, let's start with Corinth, the time that this relates to and what kind of people lived there. How big was the city, Rowan? Good questions. Okay. (laughs) Corinth was one of the big five cities of of the Roman Empire. The five being? The five being Rome, Corinth, Athens, Antioch, and Alexandria. Did I mention Ephesus? Rome? No, actually, I got that wrong. Corinth wasn't one of the big Roman cities. <laughs> I can't believe I said that. Scratch that from the notes, folks. Rome, Athens, e- Ephesus, Antioch and Alexandria were the big five cities. Corinth was not one of the major five cities, but it was a large city just down the road from Athens, uh, a strategic city. Uh, if you look at a map of Greece, there is a part of Greece called the Peloponnese it sticks out the bottom of Greece. Modern day Greece. Modern day Greece. Yeah. And it looks like a hand um, that just sort of sticks out with fingers on it. Sticks okay. out south into the Mediterranean Sea. Now, if you look at a map closely of that Peloponnese area, at a glance, it looks like it's all part of Greece. Is it so one of the attached fingers? to the Greek mainland are these yeah. fingers. No. Attached to the Greek mainland is a tiny little, what they call an isthmus. Oh. This entire large thing called the Peloponnese, which is 
uh, you know, probably 200 kilometers yep. in each direction, is attached to the Greek mainland by a section of road that is only uh, a matter of about two kilometers wide, a section wow. two kilometers wide. Now, one way in, one way one out. One way in, one way out. So what they used to do, Corinth became, there was two cities, one on one side of this isthmus and another city called Sencria, which is just two kilometers, two towns on either side he of this little- knows stuff, listeners. I've been there and I've been to this. And this particular <laughs> town, uh, Corinth made its money because people wanting to travel from one side to the other and take their cargo- would actually have to sail right around the Peloponnese, which put them right at the bottom, middle of the Mediterranean. Yeah. And if they did, they would run the risk of squalls and it was a lot longer journey. In fact, people in Corinth made their money out of, they had over, over this two mile journey, they actually had all these wooden rollers. People would take their boats up, <laughs> push their boats over land Classic. and back into the water on the other side rather than sail around the Peloponnese. A land-based barge. It was a land-based barge. <laughs> um, they tried to build a... Um, a canal. Yeah. They tried and actually it's only been built in the last hundred years. You can go there now and see a very narrow canal. They put boats, they put small boats through it now, through this wow. deep canal. But um, it became, because it was a trade city, it became, obviously everyone who wanted to go over that had to pay a tax. Yeah. So it was a very wealthy city. It was also a port city. So it was known for some of the uh, port debauchery <laughs> that would carry on in ports. A lot of drinking, a lot of, yeah. uh, a lot of, uh, sexual dysfunction, a lot okay. of, it was a pretty um, corrupt. Like the rocks in Sydney or something in the olden days. Maybe in the olden days. Yep. Yeah. It was a pretty corrupt city. It was, it was, it had its problems. Wow. I, I remember my Bible college lecturer telling me years ago, it was, it was the heart of debauchery, Corinth. Right. It would not, it would not be unusual. They said to see people having sexual intercourse on park benches and all well, kinds of stuff. It was pretty horrific. They used to say, so all right. it's, um, you know, it was, it was a pretty debauched city. But there it's, was a church there. Is yeah, Paul it, had started the church. the church. Oh, okay. Paul had started this church in Corinth. He'd been to Athens and uh, preached there, and then he shows up in Corinth next. And he'd planted a church there. And then he wrote letters to them because they were a pretty dysfunctional church. But when you realize where they came from, you can understand why. So Corinthians, <coughs> 1 Corinthians comes after Romans, but in the scheme of things. I think it's probably written before Romans. Before Romans. Yes. Okay. I, that would be my best guess. Would, and was Paul like in jail or? <laughs> uh, no, not in not in one Corinthians. He's not in. Actually, he, he might be in one Corinthians. He's certainly in. No, I don't think he's in jail at this point. I think he's living in Ephesus. Yep. Which is is just across the Aegean Sea. So it's it's probably an overnight journey or a couple of days journey on a ship from Athens from Corinth to Athens. But he's in Ephesus at the time he's writing this letter. I think. I like it. Well, I've got in my uh, notes that. It's a big wordy intro. Yeah, not, First not one typical to nine Paul wordy intro. When he does his uh, his usual thing. <laughs> yep. And then he moves into them being in agreement with no divisions, being united. I put this is good for us today. This is a common theme in Paul's writings, isn't it? Church is <laughs> yeah. not being united. We just spent Romans talking about that. Yeah. So he's appealing to dear brothers and sisters by the authority of Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. What was happening, it would appear from this theme, is that the church had formed factions. That never happens in church, by the way. 
ha ha. <laughs> Churches are full of factions and politics. <laughs> Shouldn't be. And that's what had happened. Some were saying, oh, I follow Paul. And some say, oh, yeah, I follow Apollos. Yeah. And some say, I follow Christ. And had formed these factions that were kind of, you're not, they were, dis- they were divisive and they were divided over these things. Paul's going, no, 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 you're united around Christ. You're not united around any one leader. Mm. You, don't, you, don't, you don't worship one particular, you don't serve one particular leader at the expense of everybody else. It's not about that. We follow Christ. He's good, isn't he? He is good. Then <laughs> I put that he gets a bit cheeky in verse 11 and people are dobbed on and he gets, he get, it gets kind of funny about yeah, it. Yeah, he know? does. He's being sarcastic. Yeah, he's being... Some of you are saying, I follow Paul, and others are saying, I follow Apollos, and others are saying, I follow Peter or I follow Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, <laughs> crucified for you? Were any of you baptised in the name of Paul? Of course not. <laughs> I thank God that I didn't baptise anyone except Crispus and Gaius, for no one can say that I was baptised into my name. Oh, yeah, I also baptised Stephanus, but I don't remember if I baptised anyone after that. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news. So he was trying to, he'd heard that there was these factions in the church and he was yeah. trying to almost lovingly, sarcastically, come on guys, you know, you're here to unite around yeah. Jesus. You don't unite around people. You're not unite around Jesus. It's a good way to do it. Yeah, it is it's a good funny. way to do it. It is a fun, I think there's a bit of sarcasm in the early parts of this letter, like lightheartedness. Mm. I've put it in here for me to read from verse 18 in my purple Bible here. Okay, a purple Bible. I need glasses for this one. I need to find it. 1 Corinthians. Can you hear those pages? Can you hear those pages. This, this is a real Bible, folks. <laughs> Not like my iPad. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For, is it, for it is risen. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent, which is from Isaiah yep. 29. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? What's he asking there? He, he, so in Greek culture, and this is just down the road from the heart of Greek culture, Athens, there's a lot of focus on philosophy and scholarly intelligence as though salvation, they would almost say, came through knowledge yeah, and, okay. and all that sort of stuff. And so he's saying it's actually not the way God works. You don't get saved through knowledge or knowing how everything is and knowing everything. You get God is in fact God has gone the other way, and you're going to go on and explain that. Oh, has has not not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Yes. For since in the wisdom of God. The world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The foolishness of the message. Yeah, and the, the whole concept of resurrection of the dead seems foolish. The whole the whole message to to wise and Greek philosoph- philosophical minds, the whole concept that Christ would die for someone's sins and be raised again, it just seemed completely to them, it was comp- completely foolish. It was so different to their Platonistic philosophy or worldview. And Paul is trying to say, you get saved through the foolishness of that, the simply, uh, the simplicity of the gospel. The gospel isn't complicated. Yeah. It's simple. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. So the stumbling block to the Jews was because they thought they were looking for a Messiah who would be a military Messiah, a military Christ who would rule and kick the Romans out. And he preaches the Messiah has been crucified. So you can see how that's a stumbling block. The Jews just couldn't get their head over that. And Mm. to the Greeks, it just seemed like 
well, why would anyone die? No military leader dies. No leader. It's a sign of weakness to them too. So it becomes a a foolish message, a stupid message to them. And yet it is the power of God. And he'll go on and say, basically he's using a bit more of this sarcasm. He's going, look, even the wisest of man's plans yeah. are nothing. Even the He says, what does he say? God, the because foolish the plan of God, God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. Now he's not saying God is foolish, but he's saying even if God was foolish, his foolishness would be wiser than human wise stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Yeah. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. It says that's from John 7. John 7, does it? Okay. For you seek your calling, brethren. That's what it's got in this one. So I think maybe I'm just thinking this through a little bit more. Just down the road from Athens, Corinth, even though it's probably the next biggest city in the area, it would have had this, um, they're probably being a port town and probably being all working class, Athens would have looked down on them. Athens would have uh, thought yeah. that they were a nobody, that they were they were, grubs. They were the grubs down there. <laughs> they were the Westies. And, uh, and they probably had that built into their psyche. And Paul had immediately come from Athens and he tried to preach a very smart and persuasive message in Athens and he had very little success. In fact, they thought it was so foolish to them that he couldn't plant a church there. And so he shows up in Corinth. That's quite the opposite. He shows up in Corinth and he preaches and he's going, don't worry about your brothers up the road in Athens who think they've all got it all worked out. He said, God's not interested in all the wisdom. He's just going to talk to you normal folk. That's a great way to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. So mm. He's definitely doing that. He's definitely doing that, I think, yeah. And the base things of the world and things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring nothing, the things that are. Jeez. That's so pretty complicated. I think about it in the light of, you know, you often say, oh, you know, I feel like I'm, you say, you've said it on the podcast, so I feel like I'm just getting a certain level of knowledge and all uh, that. Yeah, yeah. But Paul would say to you, Kenny, you're not going to get saved by your knowledge anyway. Yeah, by <laughs> all means, pursue it, grow, want to learn, but don't think you're less than because you don't know, you know, what Jeannie knows. I mean, Jeannie yeah. spends copious hours studying the Bible. I mean, she's wired that way, right? That's fine. But you don't get saved by that. You, you don't, you get saved by a heart that is, Mm. posed towards God that says, hey, God, I'm into this. I just want what you've got for me. That's yeah. what God's looking for. And understand a st- understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. That's what gets us yeah. saved. Yeah, that's right. Beautiful. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Yeah, if you're going to be glo- glory on about anything... Glory on about what the Lord has done for you, not how smart you are. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's a beautiful way to round out our podcast. Amen. And I thank you for uh, having me on again. Thank you. Why don't you pray? Pray a prayer of praise for our people as we close. I'd love to. Heavenly Father, I praise you for your word. I praise you for your creation. And I praise you for your people of all shapes and sizes. I just praise your name, Jesus, today, now and forever. And I pray that everyone will know the love and glory of you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Kenny, for being with us again. Are you on again before the end of the year? 
I don't know. Don't know either. I'm going on a couple of you, little holidays going on holiday, now, You're not so thinking beyond your no, holiday, are you? We'll talk yep. about that when I get back. If not, we'll find out if you're on next year anyway. Well, God bless you. Thanks, everyone, for being with us, and we'll talk to you on the next episode. See you soon.